practically a man child and that uh, she had no ability to respect me. So I went through the entire uh, no, no More Mr. Nice Guy uh, journey. Uh, I, I am a recovering nice guy mm-hmm. and um, I even started my own uh, group for a little while online in Discord. And now I have my own online community because I was trained in depth psychology and I've been studying it for 10 years. And so now I have my own online community and my own website and my own YouTube channel, et cetera, which by the way, they're the people who watch my YouTube channel are actually going to be watching this live as well. Okay. All so right. it'll be interesting how how it goes but yeah that's basically my history and uh i've recommended your work with my human nurture lectures i've done probably like i don't know 25 of those mm-hmm. and uh i have also developed something called the four pillars of self-intimacy which is largely based on your work taking responsibility for needs having personal standards to enforce to make sure that you are forcing yourself to meet your needs, okay. having personal boundaries to make sure that people are not inhibiting you from meeting your own needs. And then after you have those three pillars, then you have personal goals. Once you have those four pillars up, you can have the foundation of self-respect. And that's kind of what I've been doing in the men's movement within my own community, basically, as a result of your work, for which I'm very grateful. And a lot of the members of my community are. That, that all sounds really cool stuff. We'll have to talk about reciprocal cooperative relationships. Sure. That's, I, I, that's when I talk about getting your needs met. I always, I always end up at that point. So I'll, I'll, if we get a chance, I'll share that with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. It should be fun. Um, we don't do any commercials here or anything like that either. We're 100% listener supported. So we don't go to any breaks or anything like that. If you need a break, just let us know. We can take a break at any time. We can talk about whatever we want. We can use whatever language we want. And uh, yeah, anything goes in Grimerica. Okay. Um, uh, sounds like fun. I took my break before we got started. So uh, uh, how long do you, do you guys usually go? We usually go an hour, hour and a half. Okay. Kind of, we don't do a set time limit. We just sort of, it's kind of up to the guest and up to the conversation. And sometimes, you know, we get into it and we go for two, two and a half hours. And other times at an hour, you're kind of, it's run its course. All right. But uh, well, at the Mike's- end of the day, if, uh, if, if you need to go at any time or anything like that, just, uh, Maybe give us a little wink and we'll we'll wrap it up. All right, I'll I'll, I'll work on my wink then. And <laughs> my experience doing interviews is whenever everybody tells me, "Oh, we go thirty minutes, we go forty five minutes," we always go longer. So if you're saying you go two and a half hours, you guys buckle your seatbelts up. Well, <laughs> beauty. I, I I like I have fun doing this stuff. I like it. Sounds like you guys already have fun doing this stuff. So. Um, you know, this is a little different format than the typical interviews, so uh, it should be fun. So, uh, whatever you guys want to do with this, I'm here. Cool, cool. Well, we'll uh, I think without further ado, we'll let Graham <clears throat> steer us into this. All right, we'll get we'll do a little <laughs> intro and we'll get it going. All right, tonight we've got another special episode. You've probably heard us talk about this book. It's affected Darren quite a bit, and we talked about it in our in our Chase uh, Joseph episode. No More Mr. Nice Guy, A Proven Plan for Getting What You Want in Love, Sex, and Life. So we figured we'd actually have the author on. So Dr. Robert Glover is joining us, and he's also uh, the director of the TPI University. Um, he's got a whole, you know, a whole website here with coaching and stuff like that, and that's Total Personal Integration. And obviously this has had a big impact on Darren and, and myself through Darren, Obviously. Ah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've also got Chase joining us as well. 
So uh, welcome to you guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, looking forward to it. Likewise for myself, I appreciate the opportunity and you gentlemen thinking of me as oh, well. Oh, of course, man. We love to get people together like this. And and like I mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Glover, your book's had a big impact on Chase and Darren, obviously. So I, where do you want to start with this, Darren? I mean, this is your... this is your. Uh, well, I kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, I re- would have probably wouldn't have read the book if it wasn't for Chase. Chase threw it at, at me when I was talking to Chase. And probably, you know, I don't think it would be... Uh, an exaggeration to say that I probably wouldn't still be married if I today if I hadn't read the book at the time that I did, yeah, or at least point. if I was, it wouldn't be going as well as it is right now. So um, it kind of came into my life at a really good time, and uh, and had it was one of those books that at, at this point in my life, like I said, we had Scott Adams on last week, and his book was the, probably the second, and the, but this book is probably probably been the most profound book uh in my experience anyway that i've read um so i think the best thing to do because there's probably a whole ton of our audience that hasn't uh might not know what we're talking about here is to maybe just have dr glover uh give us a quick rundown of what exactly a nice guy is and and uh how he came upon it all right uh, and, and from here on out, you can call me Robert. Right. Sounds good. Perfectly yeah. comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, I, as Chase said, well, we were just kind of chatting, getting to know each other. He said, he's a recovering nice guy. So am I. And, and that's how I came upon this. Um, probably started this journey about 30 years ago. Uh, basically the woman who I was married to at the time said, you need to go get some therapy or I'm going to leave you. And I thought, well, I didn't want her to leave at least at that time. And, um, I thought, but you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I, I, I do everything right. I try to make her happy. I try to please her. Um, you know, I put up with all of her crap, you know, but she's unhappy all the time. Uh, she never wants to have sex. It's never good enough. Um, and so, um, I, I started into to some therapy. I actually started out in a 12 uh, step group. First of all, trying to figure out why being a nice guy didn't make my wife a better wife and didn't make her happier and didn't make her want to have more sex like she used to want to. And uh, luckily, uh, my good fortune, I I fell into some good places with some good therapists and good groups and uh, started actually working on me and finding out why my paradigm of being a nice guy wasn't working out so well. So let me just give you maybe the the little elevator uh, description of a nice guy. Uh, uh, A nice guy believes um, he has, he, he believes he's not okay just as he is. And he has to become what he thinks other people wants him to be in order to be liked and loved. And he has to hide certain things about himself that he thinks might uh, create negative reactions in other people. And so uh, I, this is the things I'm starting to discover about me and my own work. And I, at the time I was working as a marriage and family therapist and I started noticing a lot of the guys coming in couples therapy with their wives or their girlfriends were saying the exact same things that I'd been saying in my marriage, that I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. I'm better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I treat her well, uh, but it's never enough. She's never happy. It's never good. 
good enough? When's it going to be my turn? She never wants to have sex anymore. And um, I started thinking, man, I'm not the only person with this roadmap, with this paradigm that thinks if I just do it all right and just treat everybody really well, then everything in my life will go well. I'll be loved. I'll be liked. I'll get my needs met. And so I started uh, a no more Mr. Nice Guy men's group with some of these guys. And I said, okay, let's get together every other week. I'll write some stuff that I'm discovering about how we get to be nice guys, why it doesn't work, maybe how to, how to live more effectively and started giving these guys chapters or lessons every other week. And they kept saying, well, you need to write a book. You need to go on Oprah. And uh, so I kept writing and eventually it did turn into a book. It's been out 15 years now, never got on Oprah. Um, but as we were talking a little bit before we got started, the, the book keeps spreading mainly by word of mouth, like the way you guys heard about it. One person tells another person about it. And, um, so that's, I'm, I'm still a recovering nice guy. I'm still working on me. I still see this stuff popping up all the time. And, um, it is kind of now I, I can see it quicker, respond to it quicker, and I got better tools to work on it. But it's kind of interesting. It never does seem quite to go completely away. Well, we've been called the Canadian Oprah, so in some ways. The Canadian yeah. Oprah, eh? All right, hey, I'm hey. in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely can resonate with that. It never really goes away. You just sort of, and I'm just sort of uh, new into my recovery, but you, you do just sort of notice it quicker. You can um, react a little better. Shut, shuts off some triggers. How come you're a dick to me yeah. then if you're a nice guy, Darren? I don't understand how this, you're just nice to the wife and the women and, you know, in the studio you're... That's part of the gimmick. That's part of the gimmick? Well, yeah, I can't yeah. start being... I can never stop being a dick to you or we're going to go out of business. Well, and, and that's part of the whole nice guy thing. I, I begin the book really addressing the, 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 the paradox that uh, nice guys really aren't particularly nice. If you think about it, trying to become what you think other people want you to be and trying to hide certain things about yourself, you're not particularly honest. You're not real. Uh, people don't know who you really are, what you really think, what you really want, what you really feel, what you've really been up to, what you're really going to do. And, um, and then there's a lot of other not so nice side effects of, of being a nice guy as well. So, so that's kind of sometimes the, the, the big stick upside the head is while we think I'm such a nice guy, why doesn't everybody like me and love me and treat me well? And, and the truth is number one, that doesn't put any money in the bank. It, it doesn't buy you credits. Um, and, 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 and the other side of that is often we're not all that nice in spite of how, how nice we think we are. Yeah, that's kind of leads into my, what I was thinking my next question would be was, is like, it's kind of a misnomer that it's, you're a recovering nice guy. Cause you're still obviously ni nice. You're just, you're just more authentic. Right. And you're more genuine and people can see that. I'm assuming. Well, I, 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 I hope I'm a decent human being. I, I would like to think that I I'm generous. I caring. I can also be critical and negative and judgmental. I can watch those things come up. Um, and, and I like the word authentic that you used. And in the book, I talk about becoming what I call an integrated male. It really doesn't matter what we call it. There's, you know, there's a lot of writers and coaches out there uh, working with men, and there's a lot of different terminology we can use, and they all fit. Um, but I like the word authentic because 
I know when I do workshops and seminars and teach classes, the uh, feedback I almost I regularly receive, and it's to me maybe the thing that makes me feel the best, is when people say, "I like how authentic you are. I like how real you are." And I would not have been told that 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. People did not tell me I was authentic and real. I wasn't. Um, and so maybe that is the biggest change of, of the work I've been doing and the journey I've been on is learning that I can be me. I, I can just be me, put all, put all of me out there, nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. It's all on view. And, um, and people are going to be drawn and attracted to that rather than the image I used to try to manage to get people to be drawn and attracted to me, which didn't work so well. So maybe that's maybe as simple as anything. What, what maybe recovery from nice guy syndrome is, it's just becoming you becoming authentic, becoming real. It's funny because you would think with all the internet and, and what really seems like the disappearance of privacy that, that um, something like this would start to get smaller, but I would probably I would probably argue it's going up at pretty well, quick I, rates with Facebook and everything else. You know, everything seems to be getting faker and faker and and less less authentic. Well, and maybe that's what maybe that's why people are looking for something real. I, I know my book came out, like I said, about fifteen years ago. Um, sales keep going up every year. The royalty checks keep getting bigger every year. <laughs> that's so. Awesome. It, it's it's spreading and I've even come to the realization it, it might even be part of the foundation of kind of a, a spreading world's worldwide men's movement of, of men who I think um, no matter how they come across my book or other materials like it I really think we men are looking for a tribe we're looking for connection connection with other men direction focus discipline uh, structure community and community is so is so core to how we men evolved and it doesn't matter if if men come to this through through the pickup community through um uh, through you know going through a divorce and finding a men's support group or through finding a personal trainer through a coach it doesn't really matter what 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 in our life triggers it Uh, we go looking and then the good news is there's so much good stuff out there now. When, when I started looking 30 years ago, um, there was, you know, Robert Bly and Iron John, Michael Mead, you know, you would go out in the woods and beat a drum and say, ho. And that, that's really about all there was for men looking for tribe or community. And I'm just thrilled that, that it's now, you know, you got Mankind Project. You just got stuff all over the world where, where men can go find connection, community, and, and tools for becoming not only connected, but more authentic, more passionate, more real, and more satisfied in their own lives. What would you say to someone who said that uh, being, being themselves isn't working? I, what I usually tell them, where I usually hear this, um, I'll come back to, the, to answer your question, but where I usually hear it is guys that aren't having very much success dating. And, um, and, and the reason I hear that is, is that when, when I got divorced from my second wife about 15 years ago, uh, after kind of laying off of just women in general for a while, I was burned out. Um, when I did decide I was going to date again, I thought, I, I, I need to learn how to do this and become more effective. Uh, I'd been married to two women 
for a total of 25 years, and I shouldn't have dated either one of them more than three dates. But yeah, this this isn't a, a, a good a good way to keep going at it. So I thought I got to become a better picker and I got to become a better ender and I got to learn how to how to do this dating thing. And so I got actually pretty good at it to where people started asking me, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" So like most things in life, I, I teach what I had to go out and learn how to do. And one of the core premises I teach men in life, but in dating especially, is be yourself. Give give women a chance to see who you really are. And they'll go, well, you know, I try that. Women just aren't interested in me. And I say, odds are you've never let a woman actually see who you really are. You're so concerned about getting her to like you, getting her approval, you know, not doing anything that might fuck things up to where she's not going to want to get naked with you, that you, you hold everything back. And I, I teach men, be you. Flirt. Act on impulse. Don't hold anything back. Don't pre-censor yourself. Don't pre-reject yourself. And and the truth is, um, a lot of guys out there, as you say, really aren't their real selves. They're this managed self. They're this projected self. They're this self that they think they have to be to get approval. And there's no authenticity. There's no there's no congruence there. And, and people just are not naturally energetically drawn to people who aren't being themselves. I even say in the book, people are attracted to other people's rough edges. We're not attracted to Teflon smooth people trying to get everything right. And uh, not everybody's going to be drawn. I mean, as we're, we're, there's four, four men sitting here, different parts of the world talking, and, and, and some people are going to like parts of what each one of us say and who we are, and other people are going to, eh, you know, I don't get it waste of time but that's okay so um yeah learning to be who you are really opens the door for a lot of interesting stuff to come your way nice you want to go next chase yeah sure uh so uh my my journey with this entire thing actually uh i got married when i was 19 years old i was married i was married for 11 years and uh, I mostly stayed in that marriage because I was a nice guy. I had to deal with dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. And I had a very large uh, religious, uh, Judeo-Christian uh, religious background as a result, to the point where my family would enforce religious rituals and traditions upon me uh, in order to you know, enforce the, the social norms of the family. And I was conditioned, basically, and allowed myself to con be conditioned in such a way where I was seeking the approval of the women in my family and mm -hmm. then also my church. Uh, it started really early at Sunday school, for example. And and then that actually extended outwards into me going to school in general. And it was just an absolute nightmare. And then on top of that, I was almost 300 pounds when I was 15 years old as well going into high school, which was also rough at the same time. And uh, I, I started getting healthier, losing the weight and whatnot. And I ended up in college and uh, I, I met a girl and uh, I, I married her straight up and uh it, it it became an interesting situation because i had a lot of addictions uh, in the process i was addicted to world of warcraft i played that for like six years straight uh, 
And uh, I couldn't keep a job to save my life. I would lose jobs over and over and over again. I had no sense of personal responsibility whatsoever. And it was all about her needs. It was never actually mm -hmm. about my needs. And I prioritized her needs more than anything. And, yeah. uh, and it came to a point where I was so self-sacrificing that there was nothing there except like this walking scaffolding of a human being. <laughs> or like a husk, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I know. It, it, uh, it, was, it was pretty bad. Uh, and uh, I... It wasn't until I was 27 I had this epiphany, and it's it's what I it's the story of me becoming a man basically. And I was in Vegas, uh, and I walked into a building, a, a a man child, and I walked out of the building a man basically. And uh, it was the most profound experience I ever had in my life because I came to the conclusion that I was so absolutely unmistakably miserable that I was finally willing to burn down every aspect of my life and not care about the consequences anymore because anything was better than what I was dealing with. Right. And of course, you know, you have these conclusions in, in strip clubs in Vegas, apparently. So that's just kind of where that came from. And then I immediately went home to my wife, told her about my great time I had at a strip club to her face and told her, quote, if you, uh, you have to you have to make a decision. Here's your choices. One, you allow me to see other people, or you divorce me right now. You know, I said like I just drew the line. This is like the first boundary I actually enforced in my life, to be honest. Uh, you know, you're talking to someone who was beaten all the time uh, in uh, in school by various bullies and whatnot. Never really enforced a boundary before, but this was actually the first time I actually did it. And it wasn't until. You know, it was a few days later that she said, yeah, okay, you're right. You know, our relationship hasn't been working for, you know, the last eight years or so. Then, yeah, go ahead and see other people. Just promise me that you won't abandon me or the children. I said, of course, I'm not going to do that because I have to be responsible as a father, you know, and that's just kind of how it went. And then uh, eventually we ended up divorcing. But it, when I got your, my hands on your book, it, it was it, my favorite part of the entire book is the part where it says, oh, by the way, as you're doing what this book says, uh, be ready for it to cause turbulence within your own existing relationships. Yep. And I'm like, hot damn, that's right. <laughs> and no, it's true because I was also doing the entire program while, uh, while I was with my, my current girlfriend, uh, Kim. Uh, and uh, she, she was like, you've completely changed. You're a completely different person. She, she freaked out. She freaked out so much because I, on my way home from, uh, uh, from doing like a trade show one time, I stopped uh, at my favorite wine bar and went to the bar by myself and ordered myself a pizookie, which is basically a cookie dessert by myself. And I, and I ate it and it was great. And then I went home and she's like, why did you do that? And she took so, um, so much umbrage to me. Because you it. ate a cookie by yourself. Because I ate a cookie by myself. She had such a huge problem with that. You know, it's like, oh, are, are, are you putting yourself back out on the market? Like she got like super uh, paranoid about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just taking myself out on a date here. You know, I, I, I decided that I wanted a dessert and I was going to go to the place I liked the dessert at. So I ordered dessert and it worked out great. You know what I mean? It, and then I actually saw a movie afterwards too, by myself. Yes, I go see movies by myself because that's my thing for some reason. I like it. But that's that's kind of what started this journey. And I I was already coaching some people, uh, you know, into manhood and whatnot, and sharing my personal experience with my own epiphanies. But it really wasn't until I I because I read your book like 
four times uh, at least and then listen to the the audio version another three times when i would go hiking like i almost memorized it to to a point and uh i realized that it was the the missing piece or the crux of the whole argument that needed to be maintained because it wasn't just good enough for people to to understand you know my journey to get to where they needed to go because it's 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 my journey it's not theirs right. they needed a framework for them to work with so when i come to the people that i've been coaching that's basically what i've done and i, I the first things first is they if they're a man i slap this book right in their face and it's like you need to read this now even people on my youtube channel i got i got women uh emailing me all the time complaining about how their husbands are and i'm like oh he's got nice guy syndrome read this book so you have some tools with which you can criticize him on oh and by the way if he doesn't change and even if he refuses to read the book that gives you cause to like throw him in the dumpster and move on because why would you be with the man that you don't respect to begin with you know yeah. which leads into my core philosophy behind what i'm trying to do at csjoseph.life which is the the name of my website or whatever but the the core philosophy is this Men crave respect, women crave love, uh, and uh, it's not good enough to tell a man that I love you. It's never good enough. You have to say I respect you, and because men, sure, they want to be loved, but not as much as they want to be respected. It's a primary, secondary, yin and yang relationship, whereas with women, it's the opposite. Love is primary, respect is secondary, right? And it's this kind of equilibrium within a relationship that exists that needs to be supported. But men are like, well, how do I become respectable? And that, that's so no more Mr. Nice Guy is the answer to that question. How do I gain the respectability? Because a man cannot or a woman cannot be in a relationship with a man unless she respects him first. It's all because the respectability is what makes a man attractive. And we call that nobility in the CSJ uh, community, uh, nobility. And nobility comes from doing the four pillars, needs, standards, boundaries, goals. And then you have self-respect. And life rule number one, as I teach them, above all else, respect thyself. Pythagoras uh, first coined it, I believe, I think. But uh, the point is they've taken this philosophy and then they've extended out further to understand the dynamics of relationships, love and respect and that balance, as well as beauty versus nobility between you know uh, women and men. And then it's esteem. Esteem basically fuels the nobility. And I basically tell men, your number one job in life is to esteem yourself and never stop. You can't stagnate. You have to consistently fuel the the uh, the nobility with constant esteeming yourself, constant growth, constant moving in that direction. Because like if a river dries up, everything's going to die, right? So you got to keep moving. So that's kind of what I've been encouraging uh, my community to do is to make sure that they stay moving, that they stay in personal growth, especially with the men. You know, and the women, however especially since we live in this feminist society, they really don't like it when there's some white guy on the internet telling them that they need to be beautiful. You know what I mean? Which is quite frankly, you know, why men are interested in women to begin with in the same way that women are interested in men to get their nobility or to get that respectability that the men have, but the women do not have necessarily because it's a secondary trait. It's not a primary trait, right? So that's kind of the, the like in, in total, you know, where it goes from. But how does one know what the source of beauty is? Because if esteem is the source of nobility, what's the source of beauty? And the answer is humility. And quite frankly, very few women, especially in feminist society, want to hear that. You know, they hear that they have to humble themselves because it's not good enough to just have a fine ass and a nice rack. Yes, that is very important, but that's only half the equation. You have to have that plus 
have the humility to go with it. Because you give me a Victoria's Secret model, she could have everything I ever want on a physical basis. But if she's arrogant, I'm going to throw her in the dumpster, right? The, like, get out of my house. Get out of my life. I can't, I can't stand someone being so disrespectful because it's better to be on the corner of one's roof to be in the home with a disrespectful uh, you know, woman, basically, in that regard. And empowering men to understand these things, they've been able to esteem themselves gain nobility for themselves and they are able to do um and i also teach uh, the philosophy of robert moore and douglas gillette king warrior magician lover mm-hmm. as part of nobility and uh uh you know and, and king is basically you have your own place your own car your own job right and you're developing your own purpose to understand your deepest gift that's also david data's uh, way of the superior man approach uh and that's basically what king is. You're generated. You're producing more than you consume. Great. Congratulations. You made king. You've made your first step into manhood and towards nobility, which would like make you attractive to women all of a sudden. You know. So once I start that, then I start them on warrior and then get them going on magician, which is where it really ends up being relationships with fellow men and bringing up other men into manhood because – I, and in my opinion, in your book, that was probably other than what you said that this will be very turbulent for your relationships, establishing a, uh, a primary need to have relationships with fellow men is absolutely critical. Yeah. And I really appreciated how you stated how young boys don't really have that camaraderie with fellow men at all it's because they are raised by women in society consistently. And that has completely stunted all personal growth and maturity on the part of men, which is why we end up having this feminist society to begin with. And where men lead, women follow, but men don't know how to lead. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't become a man because of something I inherited from my father. I became a man because I was in the ditch and I had no other choice. And it was either, you know, it's like, I'm in the ditch. Ooh, you know, you could commit suicide, which I didn't have suicidal thoughts, but a lot of people end up having those thoughts, right? Or I could actually stand up in this ditch and I'm completely naked and exposed to the world and it's raining and it's cold and there's cars driving by and no one cares. And you know what? I just have to take every step forward on this road, damn it, no matter what. And that's literally what my personal experience has been and the personal experience of many of those people that I have coached throughout the way. So thank you for making the book because it has really been a very foundational component as to what we're trying to do here in my community and within the men's movement at large. Well, yeah. And so many things you, you shared really are in my mind, such core things, you know, you mentioned boundaries. I was in my thirties in my second marriage. I already had a PhD in marriage and family therapy and I'd never heard of boundaries. And I went to a therapist who uh, either did that with every client she saw or really just could read that I needed some work around boundaries. And that's so core. And, and I teach guys, you know, about living life on your terms, finding your passion. Uh, and as you say, keep, keep living this way, keep growing that way. And that a woman can't follow where a man doesn't lead. And if a man's trying to figure out how to get a woman to like him and how to fit into her life and how to make her happy and how to get her aroused, there's nothing for her to follow. Um, yeah. and, and you mentioned, you know, uh, data, um, probably about a year and a half ago, my, I've, I've married for the third time. My, my wife is Mexican and, and I live here in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And, uh, we don't speak the same first language, but we probably have the best communication of any relationship I've been in. And, but, but, you know, a few months into our relationship, we were struggling and, um, and 
where I was struggling was my old nice guy patterns were coming up again. I thought, man, this is like deja vu. I'm trying to make a woman happy. I'm trying to please her. I'm trying to, I'm defending myself. I'm getting, I'm following her down her emotional rabbit holes. And, um, and I thought, I, I need some help with this. And really what I needed help with is really what I've been teaching all along. So I went out and found a coach who just happens to have been studying with David Data for the last 10 years. Uh, his name's John Wineland. Um, and joined a men's group that, that he leads as a men's program. And it's just kind of like, I you know, I you don't quit doing this stuff. I had to get back to the core stuff that that helped me find me and move forward in the first place. And, and I'll probably be doing that till the day I die. And my wife appreciates the leadership. She appreciates I've gone out and, you know, worked on my stuff. Um, that inspires her. I told her she needed to find a therapist. I had no idea where she would find a therapist in Mexico. Mexicans tend to drink. They don't go to therapy. Um, yes. And she, she came home one day and said, I found a psychologist. And I said, where? She said, it's, it's the, ch the children's school psychologist. And I talked to her and she does private therapy. That's been over a year. She's still working with her. We're working on our stuff. And um, yeah, it just, it doesn't end. We got to keep growing. And kind of as you're indicating, my wife tells me all the time, she's a strong cookie. Um, and, and she's got that, that pride. She grew up eight out of 10 kids in poverty, had to fight, had to scrape, had to, to do whatever she could to get by with two kids with no support of their father. And, uh, and I respect that, but yet she's just this most open hearted feminine creature that, that just loves following where I lead. She says, I'll follow you anywhere. She says, I love it when you tell me no. She says, I, she calls me jefe. We walk into a restaurant when they hand us two menus, always one in Spanish, one in English, even though I can't read in Spanish. She says, no, only one menu. He's the boss. He'll order. So um, she just loves that I'll set the tone and lead. And, and I also love that I can trust her to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And we're a team. And I preach that all the time. We're a team. And, um, and, and she loves that. She loves that she, she doesn't have to be the strongest person in the room, uh, that she can relax into somebody else's leadership who she trusts. So, yeah, th this stuff, there's so many layers to it. And it's just been missing from modern culture of men passing on to their sons. Um, how, how to pursue your passion, how, how to live up to your potential, how to face fear. And, and that's what the one thing I've been saying about the lack of initiation, the world of the masculine is scary. It's scary. And, uh, it, and when I speak to about most men nowadays, and, and it sounds like you are a really good example of it. I say that most men are hanging out in the nursery. They're hanging out, trying to get the approval of women. They're playing world of Warcraft. They're looking at porn on the internet. They're watching TV. They're smoking dope. They're drinking. They're not doing anything that fucking scares them. And that's where really, I think we need the tribe of men to support us and have our back to, to, to teach us. We can do stuff that scares us. And, you know, if you talk about what turns women on, they're turned on by that guy. They're turned on by that guy that's out there facing his fears, doing the stuff that scares him, you know, being the pioneer, being the astronaut, being the guy that, you know, that is constantly challenging himself. That's what keeps women interested. And having uncomfortable conversations instead of just pretending that everything's okay all the time. 
Oh, <laughs> man, what good timing. I had an uncomfortable conversation with my wife just before we started this show. And not that it was, it was uncomfortable because of my, my programming. The, I mentioned this men's program that I'm in and an assignment that, that we're working on. Uh, my, my coach calls it uh, feminine reconciliation. And basically where we guys have to go back and, and pick the most significant women in our life. And we've got to write down where we failed to lead, where we failed to bring all of our love, where we, you know, where we failed to accept their gifts, where we failed uh, and how that, the effect that had on the women in our life. And I, I've been kind of pushing back against it because kind of as the nice guy in me, wait a minute, I gave, I gave, I gave, you know, they didn't respond. They didn't respond. And, um, and so uh, last few days, I've been talking with my wife about this project that we're doing. And it's been really great because it's brought up how she's been wounded by women in her life. And I'm talking about how I've been wounded in my life, but where I need to take accountability and learn from that so I can grow in my leadership. And um, as I've started this process, I've noticed in the last couple of days, I've been kind of going into a little bit of an emotional funk. And that's really, really uncommon for me these days. And I'm thinking, I think I'm digging into some, some old pains and wounds, even going back to chase the stuff you're talking about. I grew up in a fundamental Christian church. I have two degrees in religion. I was a minister in fundamental church for eight years. My mother trained me to be different from my Pastor's father. Kid. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, I grew up during the, the radical feminism of the 60s where, you know, every man's a rapist and erection's a sign of aggression. You know, the patriarchy is the cause of all the evil in the world. And, you know, I and it's kind of like I'm I, I, I'm, I'm on this journey to go back into some some really old painful stuff. And I felt myself kind of going down in a little bit of a funk and how my wife interpreted it. Um, she was sharing last night. She says, you know, you, you know, we haven't had sex in two days <laughs> and, and her fear is I've got someone on the side. And, and, you know, so today, just before I, you know, we did this show, we actually went up, just laid down for a few minutes. And I, I said, I got to tell you, I said, I don't have anybody on the side, but I said, I think I'm a little depressed. I said, I've been telling you about this work I'm doing that I'm going back into a lot of old stuff. And I said, I think it's bringing up some depression. And, uh, you know, I still feel really close to you, but I just don't feel that. Uh. And she goes, I know, I know you. I said, I, I, I can tell what's going on. And I said, this was actually really hard for me to tell you this. And she goes, yeah. she goes, why? And I said, just because it is. So when you said have these difficult conversations, it was actually difficult to tell my wife, I'm feeling kind of been in a funk and kind of a little bit depressed. It's kind of like, like, she's going to have a negative reaction to that. And actually it felt liberating. She now understands what's on my heart, what's in my mind, why I seem a little bit preoccupied, maybe a little distant. She says, you know, you touch my boob and she goes, your hands on my breast, but I don't feel anything. And I go, I'm sure you're right. I said, I wake up thinking about this stuff and I, I, I go to sleep thinking about it. So yeah, the, the fact that you mentioned uncomfortable conversations, but Man, that's how we grow is doing that uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been looking at lately as I've lately I've been kind of digging into a little bit. I forget the fella's name who wrote um Unfuck Yourself. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but it's in the it's a Scottish guy. 
Um, I I, ha- I do have that on my Kindle. I, I think I downloaded every book I could find with fuck in the title. Yeah, they... Start, starting with Amen. Martin Manson's and and um, <laughs> so I've got it on my Kindle, but I think that's one I haven't. Is that, is that the one that shows a fist or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing him, and I've been also reading some Brene Brown, and they both kind of um, talk about that concept of that's where you're at your best is when you're. You should always be leaning just slightly out of your comfort zone, whether that's in your work, in your marriage, in your love life, in your day-to-day, in your podcast, your YouTube, your writing, whatever it is. If you're if you're comfortable doing it, then you're in a rut. And you're not... Good Amen. things happen yeah. to those people that are kind of always on the fringes. And, I mean, you don't want to get too far out of your comfort zone all of the time where you're fucking shit up or you're, you know, maybe you you go a little too far, but you should kind of always be living, you know, on the, on the edge edge of it or leaning into it a little bit. I think it was uh, the Scottish guy that goes with that leaning into it. Yeah. David data does talk about that a lot as well. So I, I mean, I'm, I, I highly recommend way of the superior man. Chase mentioned that. Um, yeah, I I'm 62 years old. Um, like I said, a year and a half ago, I married a Mexican woman who's 22 years younger than me with two kids. They're 10 and 13 now. And everybody said, Robert, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, you know, I've got a granddaughter the same age as my stepkids. And I said, you know, but this woman treats me better than any woman's ever treated me. It's kind of like it's what I've been looking for and finally found it. Why wouldn't I dive all the way into this? And Exactly. And I'm living my life on my terms. I, I bought a house here in Mexico. I'm writing. I, I, I do the work I love. Uh, my wife treats me like gold. I love the kids. I, I, I've had to learn Spanish. I mean, my wife doesn't speak English. She's actually at English class as we speak right this minute. Um, so, I mean, it, it, in my late 50s and early 60s, I've had to learn a second language. Um, but, you know. What else am I going to be doing? You know, you might as well keep challenging yourself. You're That's missing awesome. a lot of good television, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw a television show. <laughs> that seems to be the common thread when you start uh, going down that rabbit hole. It seems like the TV just starts to collect dust. Yeah. Yeah. It's so just, that... Uh, no. Speaking of rabbit holes, before we go much, I wanted to double back on that emotional rabbit hole term you used. Um, can yeah. you sort of elaborate on that? <laughs> well, kind of, as Chase pointed out, we, we men and women tend to be different. Um, and uh, so, so let me kind of say something and then I'll, I'll get back to, to the rabbit hole itself. Um, my, my training and my doctorate said marriage and family therapy. So I, I, I've been doing uh, couples therapy, uh, started doing it over 30 years ago. I really don't do much of it now, but a lot that I do still relates to relationship work. I main, mainly focus on men now in terms of my workshops, my seminars, my classes, um, but, but it is about often men creating and leading in their relationship. Um, and if I was to say, people say, well, what do you think the biggest problem is in, in relationship? Why don't they work? Other than the fact that we're actually not wired for long-term monogamous relationships. Um, they, they don't work for a number of reasons. Number one, um, men and women have never actually spent a lot of time around each other until the last, the last 50 years. Um, if you go back to our tribal days, you know, the men are out hunting and gathering. The women were kind of close, you know, taking care of the kids, you know, just hanging out till we got back. And then we, you know, 
we ate, we told stories, we fucked, we went to sleep and went out and did it again. Even a hundred years ago, you know, if, if, if we were a boy, 100, 150 years ago, we got up, went out, helped dad, our uncles, our cousins with the farm. And, and men were just not around women all that much and, and vice versa. And, and now all of a sudden we're disconnected men from men, women still kind of keep their connections with women, but then we put us in the same house. We're together all the time. And, and so that, that just doesn't work very well. Um, and so we, we, we really do have to be conscious of having healthy differentiating space. I mean, I, I live with a woman and two kids. Uh, I've got my office. This is kind of my space. It's got, you know, doors that I can close and they got French doors. So they, my family can look in and I can wave them in. Um, but you got to have, you got to have some, some space there. But the thing that I think really where men and women struggle the most in intimate relationship is that the woman will be feeling something kind of going back to Chase talking about love being the core, uh, the primal drive, the primal uh, need um, and desire for the feminine is that a woman will feel something and she'll make an emotional statement. The guy will hear it from his kind of intellectual doing machine problem solving brain as a factual statement. <laughs> and, and, and already we can see where this is going to go. So the woman says, you never say you love me anymore. Or like my wife said yesterday, you know, we haven't had sex in two days. It's actually been about a day and a half and that we'd had it maybe two or three times on Sunday, but on Tuesday evening, we haven't had sex in two days. You know, when you're in Europe, you sent me pictures of your cock, you know, that you were always erect when you sent me pictures. Well, of course I'm always going to send erect pictures. Um, and, and she goes, <laughs> True. You know, and she goes, so my mind's just going like, you know, like, you know, maybe you've got somebody else. So, okay, she's making an emotional statement. She's saying, I feel disconnected. I'm not feeling the flow of love. Now, we're actually sitting in the swimming pool as we're talking. I'm on a little raft and she's on, on the steps. We're sitting next to each other. And, 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 you know, I'm trying to listen to it as an emotional statement. And, and the factual part of me goes, well, yeah, I fucked you twice on Sunday. And since I got back from Europe, we've been fucking like, you know, animals and, and yeah, it's been a day and a half. And, and, um, and, and then when the guy responds with the factual statement to the woman's emotional statement, all she, she feels unheard, unvalidated and unloved. And he's just thinking, what fucking planet is she from? You know, of course I love her. I haven't quit loving her just because we haven't had sex in a day and a half. And then all of a sudden, you know, that stuff going around and around. And, and the, the guy is not feeling masterful. He's not feeling respected. The woman's not feeling love. She's not feeling the depth of connection and all because the man didn't know to hear it as an emotional statement. So going back to the woman's emotional rabbit hole, um, Women are so highly sensitive and so wired to, to whatever's going on with a guy. Like I was saying, when I told my wife, I think I'm going into an emotional funk over this work I have to do, you know, pulling up old wounds. And she goes, I know. And she's just like, I can tell. I can feel you. I know what's up. And, and it's kind of like she knew it already before I told her. So they're highly sensitive to this stuff. And this is why maybe going back to the whole being authentic thing is so important. Is it, you know, as a guy, we're with a woman. 
doesn't matter if it's a woman, you just matter if it's your wife. And if it's your wife, this might not be applicable, but you know, you got gas and maybe the last one you pass just stunk like hell and you don't want to pass more gas and you feel it and you're clenching and you're holding back. And the woman senses something. She feels it. She knows there's something going on with you. You're trying not to fart and gross her out and embarrass yourself. And she thinks you're still thinking about the woman's tits that was standing on the corner that you drove by just about you know, a minute and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. That's what she thinks is going on because she has to imagine the worst. Um, evolution, mother nature wired her to be a security seeking creature. And as a security seeking creature, she's got to imagine the worst possible outcome to be prepared for it. And you're just trying not to fart. And she thinks you're thinking about another woman's tits. And then when she does say something, we think they're so friggin' crazy for the way they think that then, you know, we just get all caught up in their crazy thinking when maybe the best thing to do is, you know, just you know, go ahead and fart, pull her in tight, tell her how much you love her instead of this thing of, you know, I, I, I got to manage everything. So that's the emotional rabbit hole thing. They, you know, women often lead with their feelings and their feelings control their thinking. And for us men, we think, how come they're so irrational a lot of the time? And, and, and the women are thinking, how come we're so out of touch and disconnected most of the time? And so if we can just, as men, have some sense to catch what is the emotional statement behind their statement. It's kind of like, uh, just a quick story, my, my wife, I was doing a workshop a couple of years ago, and she went to Guadalajara with the kids, and I was doing the workshop here in Puerto Vallarta. I was just about to get started, and she'd been on the bus for about five hours, and we'd been texting back and forth, and she sends me a text right before I'm about to start my, my workshop and says, you haven't told me you love me all day. And I thought, I know that's not true, but I heard the emotional statement. She needs to know I'm thinking about her and I love her. So I sent her a bunch of, you know, mushy texts and say, okay, love you, love you, love you. And I got to go about to start. And during my first break from the workshop, I went into WhatsApp and looked at my text. I told her five <laughs> times <laughs> that day, five times. I love you. I took screenshots of every one of them, but I knew enough not to, not to go there with her and say, yes, I did tell you I love you five times. But Sunday night, she gets back and we're lying in bed talking. And she says, I owe you an apology. She said, you know, I know on Friday, I, I said, you haven't said you love me, you know, at all. She said, well, I was on the bus tonight. I looked back and yeah, you did tell me you loved me on Friday. I said, I know five times. I got the screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me so, rub it in here a little bit. Yeah, no, so I bet it was playful. We laughed about it. So yeah, it's that that's the emotional rabbit hole. You know, I could have argued with her. I've said I've loved you five times, and you know, blah blah blah. Or I can just send her a bunch of loving messages that 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 give her that connection that she's really desiring. Those are great examples. That's kind of what reminds me of the, the way of the Superior Man book. So I I haven't read your book yet, Robert, but I uh, stumbled into this like about ten. 10 and a half years ago, uh, out of 12 step, like re, new, new in 12 step recovery. And somebody handed me the way of the superior man. Uh -huh. And that, that sort of changed, like it obviously helped, helped in my recovery being authentic and honest. And it really does, you know, and, and through working, working over it, uh, over the last, uh, 10 years or so, like it, it does come with this freedom and this lightness of, 
and I don't know if it comes from the honesty part, like, but after, after, you know, lying to yourself for years and being in a couple of rocky relationships where, you know, um, you know, I was the Mr. Nice guy too, but I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm there yet, but definitely, definitely reading Dita's work helped me get to get to a point where being honest and authentic really just frees up so much of your mind and of your, of your soul, really, just so you don't have to worry about all this other other crap. I mean, it really has. And I think that yeah. we've we've sort of practiced this in the last five years, Darren. Like now we're, we're coming to like a pinnacle of a little bit of the self-help work. But this podcast has been a, our journey into that as well. Like we haven't been other people and we haven't been censored and we haven't censored ourselves or we've tried not to. I mean, we make fun of each other and stuff like that. But this podcast has also been a, a journey into that uh, authenticity, I think. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I'm nodding with you. Um, uh, you know, I'll give the example from my own marriage again. My, my, my wife, every man she's ever been with has, has cheated on her and lied to her. Every man she's ever known has been a serial cheater. That, that's no exaggeration. And, um, and she knows that I have cheated in, in a previous relationship. And, and it's really the thing that when I said my second wife said, you got to get into therapy. That's what, what got it going. And, um, and I started working on that. And um, every time my wife has some fear that I might be cheating on her, because that's her baggage, mm-hmm. and I just want to tell her, oh, I do not want to go down that that personal rabbit hole of secrets and hiding stuff and managing the truth and not getting caught. Man, that is so much fucking work. Mm-hmm. It is just so much easier. You know, like I say, nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. Just be you. Just everything's out in the open. I tell her, you could be a little bird flying above my head everywhere I go. And I said, there is nothing about how I live my life that I would be embarrassed for you to, to be watching at any given time. Exactly. And, oh, that's so fucking liberating to just, yeah. everything's out there. You know, yeah, you fuck up, you make mistakes. You know, you, you think, ah, oh, if I had a you know, do-over, I'd do it different this way. But you're still living with integrity, authenticity, and and everything's just out there in the open. It's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, now I'm in a relationship where we are very honest with each other, and we can talk about, you know, she can talk about her friends that are guys, and I can talk about friends that are women, and it's all open and honest. And the more I support her, the more she supports me, and it's it's a relationship that I've never thought was even possible really so it's uh, and that uh-huh. comes back from this it does come back to that work like the that david dita work that i did probably years ago i really do think it's it stems from that yeah 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 i i love you guys are mutually gifting each other that's how i like to describe that kind of relationship um i, I refer to my my wife and i have this competition to see who who can out love the other one <laughs> and uh that just feels so fucking good to, to to know somebody just wants to just keep giving and and you just want to keep giving back yeah it's yeah, better than the alternative yeah definitely better than the alternative i mean an example from my own relationship currently uh especially after i finished the the nice guy program all the way through and did all the steps and whatnot uh she she had expressed concerns you know that i would be cheating on her and whatnot as well and uh i basically explained to her as like i'm sorry but i don't really cheat what i do is i would actually get in your face and tell you to get out of my life and then i would immediately go and be with somebody else that's kind of 
my approach to it. It's not about like, oh, I'm going to do something in secret and manage all the lies. It's just so much more easier for me to be honest with you to your face and tell you to get out of my life. And yeah. of course, she was really hurt by me saying that too at the same time. And like, oh, am I not good enough that you would just straight up replace me, you know, like like that? And I said, it's not about that. It's about like by then a pattern of behavior, like four different issues or something that were just not unresolvable. I have to move on in that situation. But then I also said, but that's not going to stop me from at least giving you the opportunity to remedy the situation either. Of course. You know I mean? Of course. And, and it's when I said that, she's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I understand it. But like David data said, it's about, uh, it's about being in a, uh, a dance you know, and uh, a dance with the feminine and, and just how to take it in stride. And that's, uh, after reading that, uh, it really helped me keep my relationship in a, a situation where we were kind of in this equilibrium a little bit, uh, where, yeah, I knew that, yes, it was definitely going to be an issue. She will have some emotional issue every single day. It's kind mm -hmm. of normal for who she is. I mean, she is a woman, uh, and uh, an NFJ at that uh, for my community. And uh, based on that, uh, she just has to, she can't really express herself to think out loud. She can't do that. So having the talk with me, I'm actually thinking out loud with her. And then she's like, then she comes to her own conclusions. Oh, okay. I shouldn't care about this. That's <laughs> like, okay, I'm just Mr. <laughs> Sounding Board over here. Fine. And, uh, and I don't have to go down those rabbit holes, but earlier in our relationship, I was always in the rabbit holes, constantly doing the nice guy thing, constantly being concerned so much with her emotions, where now it's just like, yeah, that's your thing, and I'm not really interested in that right now. We'll have a conversation about it, because I love you and I care about you, but mm, that's not really a priority right now. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I understand that you think that's a priority, but let's have a conversation about it. And then she's like, well, tell me how you feel about it. And I'm like, well... If I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. Oh, but that's so heartless or that's so harsh. And I'm like, <laughs> you're, and I'm like, you're absolutely right, which is why I'm happy to say that, you know, I could just move on with that super quickly, you know, and that's like, and I also, I'm able to explain to her, you know, that doesn't make me better than you or that doesn't make you better than me either. It's just our approach, right? And uh, it comes from having that self-respect. And, and it's interesting. She actually told me a couple of days ago how she's actually learned as a result of my example to have self-respect instead of being more people pleasing, you know, and being like, like a nice girl, for example, to other people, right? Because I just stopped doing it. I stopped doing it or I stopped doing it to everybody. And uh, I, it was so profound. I even quit my job actually and got a different job because I realized that I was taking my nice guy syndrome into my career and mm -hmm. I just, I had to start fresh and, uh, and it was no wonder I was getting passive for promotion to promotion to promotion. You know, I, I understand that people utilize no more Mr. Nice guy as a book. That's about, you know, mostly relationships and whatnot, but there are some serious professional applications that people need to be aware of. You I have the, the first class. I wrote a class actually before the book was published, Barnes and Noble asked me to write an online class applying principles of the book and i and i picked work and career so i've got, I've got an online class called nice guys don't finish last they rot in middle management so yeah. you're, you're right the principles apply 
wherever you're at. And, and, and it was kind of funny, you know, I, I had a client, what, what you're talking about. Sometimes you can be kind of a nice guy in one area, but not so much in another. Uh, most, most nice guys are nice guys everywhere they go. But I, I had a, a woman that I worked with several years ago and, and I worked, her husband came in a couple of times, but she met her husband. He was a cop and she met him when she was a dispatcher in the police department and she fell in love with him, the cop. And she said, but then that once they moved in and got married, he'd come home, take his uniform off. And she said he was such a passive, nice guy, trying to please me, always trying to make me happy, blah, blah, no backbone. And she said, I'd have to go on ride alongs with him in his car just to see the man that I fell in love with. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, how <laughs> profound is that, that this woman didn't want her man to, to give up that, that solid, you know, fierceness that she fell in love with when he, you know, when he had his uniform on. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that as you share and, and, you know, I can say the same thing with my wife, as I've said, um, they, they don't want us trying to please them that they, they don't want us, you know, being their girlfriends. They, 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 they want something different. They want some, they want the polarity. They want the energy. Yeah. They, they want, they want something totally different. Yeah, a, a good example actually. Um, I was on a, a, a Zoom interview recently uh, with some friends, and uh, I'm not sure if Darren you were on at the time, but uh, one of my friends was watching what was going on in the background, and he actually noticed my girlfriend come by and actually serve me food during the entire thing. And he's like, "How the hell did you convince her to do that for you?" And I'm like, "I don't know. She just does it. Well, uh -huh. why does she do that? Because she knows that if I'm not fed." at a certain time, I'm going to get very cranky and she doesn't like me being so cranky. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, well, how do you get her to care about you being cranky or not? And it's because I have this thing called self-respect, you know, and she understands like I have to meet my own needs, right? If a woman is going to be in my home, she's going to be assisting me in meeting my needs too, right? So that's kind of where that is. And if I have to like be meeting my needs on my own, and she's like not doing anything. I mean, this is something I've I've lectured to to women before in some of my lectures. We have these things called dishwashers. We have these things called washers, dryers, microwaves, appliances. And because of appliances, the role of women in the home is actually very diminished. And a lot of people don't realize this in first world culture, right? And it can be an issue. So if I'm having to put all of this effort into continuing to meet my own needs when a woman would be like a helper suitable, right? For using a Genesis example, a biblical example, uh, if I'm not being helped and assisted in meeting my needs, because I'm also meeting her needs, you know, from, you know, from a, a King area, cause I'm producing more than I consume. I'm generative for her and I'm, and I'm doing that provisional aspect, you know, as the King of my castle and my home, if she's not being a queen right there with me, if she's not being a life giver in that role, if she's not assisting in meeting my needs, then what's the point of having her around to begin with? Right. And I'm very pragmatic about that. And I, and I explain that to, you know, my friends, you know, this is why she serves me in this manner. It's not because I'm just some high chair tyrant who's demanding to be served all the time. And yes, I do serve her in a lot of other capacities as well. And, and yes, we do kind of have an equilibrium trade uh, component to that. But the difference is, is that, you know, if you're not going to be helpful, then we can't really have a relationship there. You know, it's it comes back to it's it's not about you, right? And it's not about me either, but it's 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 a difference. You know, you have to understand that. Yes, I have self-respect, but mutual respect goes a long way in that area. And then 
you know, all of a sudden my friend's like, oh yeah, okay, now I understand. And that's something that I would want for my relationship center, which I ended up coaching him later with anyway. And that was really fantastic and how that worked out. Uh, but based on that example, uh, what would you say uh, is really important, uh, you know, when when you have women who are in relationships with nice guys, basically, because I get that all the time from my audience on a regular basis. Uh, what do you do? Because currently I've been telling them, hey, read uh, Dr. Robert Glover's book, and then you have some tools with which you can actually criticize uh, your man on. And if he doesn't change or if he's not willing to uh, do the book, then you understand that you have every right to – you know, and your relationship and move on. And I've actually coached people to divorce. It's, it's odd, but I have, I've done it. Um, I was coached to divorce and I'm glad I, uh, uh, from my, uh, nice guy syndrome mentor, uh, at the time in, uh, in uh, the Sacramento area of California, he had recommended that I definitely go forward with it. And he was absolutely right. So based on that, what would you recommend to women who find themselves in those situations? What, what can they do? Okay. Um, uh- I want to go two ways. I want to talk about needs. Well, well, let's talk about the situation with women. And by the way, when you're talking about being the king, this is upside down for those of you that can see it on the screen. And it's in Spanish, but it's a crown and it says El Rey. And El Rey is the king. It's a tattoo on my forearm. My wife has a very similar one on her left arm. She's left-handed. She's Florida. Uh, Lorena. Lorena. And it has a little different looking crown. It was her idea. She made the appointment for us to go get tattoos that said the king and the queen. And, and, and she, she just really likes that. Um, so I want to talk about needs, but let me come back to it. Cause I told you, you know, when we were talking a little bit before we started the show, I'd say something about uh, um, cooperative reciprocal relationships. And I want to come back to that around needs because it's so core with nice guys with women. Here's the deal. I, I heard David Data say one time at a workshop, and I didn't discover his book till after I'd written my book. And people kept recommending, <laughs> "You got to read this. You got to read the book. Way the Superior Man. Way the Superior Man." And I thought, uh, for some reason, it you know, I, I don't know if I thought the title was just so weird. Yeah. It finally, it dawned on me that I thought, you know, okay, my book's got an equally you know odd title, so I'll, I'll pick it up and read it. And and I, I was I this was maybe about two years after my divorce, so you know about 13 years ago. And my book had been out a couple of years. And I remember reading this and I was dating a woman at the time I was in a relationship and I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, this is my new Bible. This, this book is got such a good book and to no more Mr. Nice guy. And I started telling the woman I, I was dating about it. Um, waving at my stepdaughter that just had to come in and look through the glass window of my office. Um, and but I, so I, I've been to, you know, a few of Data's workshops and I, I remember him saying one time, this really struck me, that if a woman tells a man what to do and he does it, she's actually forced him into his feminine. She, she's the one leading and doing. He's the one following the lead. So uh, your, your question, Chase, is, is kind of a challenging one in that, okay, if a woman says, like my ex-wife said to me, you know, if you don't go get some therapy, I'm leaving. Well, at that time, I didn't want her to leave, so I went and got therapy. And I, but at some point, I had to make that about me. I was doing this because it was for me, not just because I thought she would leave me if I didn't do it. If I kept going to therapy purely 
because she told me to, and she's going to leave me, nothing would have ever changed. In, in a sense, she would have still been running the show. I still would have been, you know, subservient, submissive, and, and, and frightened. But at some point, it turned to where it, it became about me and, and what I needed to work on for me. So there, there is kind of this, um, I don't know what, what the good word would be, but it, it's kind of like if a woman would go to say to her husband or her boyfriend, you're a nice guy, you got to stop being a nice guy. All of a sudden, she just pushed him further into his nice guy right? Oh, no, I've got to do this. I, I got to become a different kind of nice guy, you know, to please her and make her want to stay with me. But what I what I generally tell women is just give them a copy of the book. That's all. Just give them a copy of the book. I, you know, I, I love hearing how people found my book. And nowadays, you know, you know, pretty common guys say a friend gave it to me, somebody in 12 steps gave it to me, my coach, my therapist gave it to me. A lot of guys tell me a woman gave them my book. And often the woman is an ex. A lot of exes find the book and say, really? oh, my ex-husband, wow. ex yeah, because, you know, they must have cared about the guy in the first place or they wouldn't have been with him. And they're probably not still with him because he is such a nice guy and, yeah. and, and they don't want him to keep suffering. So a lot of guys have said, have told me exes gave them the book and I've had guys say their girlfriend, their, their wives gave them the book. So that's my advice to women. Cause if you try to lead him out of it, it's just perpetuating the same system that already exists of right. him, him sacrificing self and trying to please woman. And okay, now she wants to lead this direction. Okay. If I want her to be happy, I got to follow that direction. And, and not only will she not be happy because he's not leading, but he'll probably do one of two things that most nice guys do whenever confronted with any kind of authority. And this is what we learn to do in childhood. Either go underground with what they really think, feel, and want. Just keep it all hidden and kind of the proverbial ask for forgiveness rather than permission. But everything's underground and hidden because we're afraid of saying what we really want, what we really think, what we really feel, what we're really going to do. Or the nice guy will push back. He'll do the oppositionally defiant thing. And most nice guys don't. The, what I call the I'm so bad nice guy might. And this is what some kids learn to do to, to have some sense of self when their parents are controlling every aspect of their life is, you know, fuck you. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to do the opposite. So if the woman is trying to lead this thing, the guy is probably going to go along on the surface, but still hide stuff from her underneath or be resentful and or just oppositionally defiant push back so the best thing i know is just say hey i heard about this book on youtube or i heard an interview or my girlfriend told me about it or my therapist recommended it here and don't say another word about it just put it fair on the enough. table let him do what he's going to do fair enough i uh, i will definitely uh, make that adjustment in my recommendations moving forward because i could definitely see the value of that i never considered uh pushing them in their feminine side actually that's actually a really good point so uh i will uh make the changes necessary for that so that's what? a great uh, addition and, and and believe me i don't know if this is the right answer but it's the best one i've got right now yeah the to to if if it, if the woman truly is wanting to serve her man in this way and wanting to empower him to serve her. That's probably the best way I know to do it. What about her reading it? Yeah, by all means. Um, it's funny. Well, nice guys are funny. 
um, I, a lot of guys will say, hey, I'm reading your book. I love it. Or I'm in this group, blah, blah. My therapist gave me the book. What do you think of giving my wife a copy of the book? Or should I let her read it? Yeah. And I'm going, by all means. Remember, this is all about being authentic. Everything's out in the open. And, and if you're still afraid that your wife might have a reaction because you're reading a self-help book, um, man, you got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. If, if your wife has a negative reaction to you doing work that betters you as a person, you may need to get to rejection quickly with that woman and find out that's not a good match for you. Um, I mean, I want to be with someone that is supportive of every aspect of my growth process. Now, she may not understand it, and it will scare her. Anytime anybody in a relationship makes a change, it will scare the other partner. It's the unknown. We don't know what's coming next. Um, you know, like I said, at 30 years working as a therapist, every time somebody comes to start therapy with me, I would always ask them, how does your partner feel about you coming to therapy? Well, you know, they've been encouraging it, but actually today when I came, they told me they were kind of scared. Yeah, it's the unknown. So, um, so I tell guys, yes, by all means. And if you really want to, you know, guys say, I've, got, I've been through the book two or three times and it's filled with all my yellow highlighters. Give that version to your wife. Let her see what, what you're reading and what's striking your attention and, and let her know you. That's that authenticity again. Let her know who you really are. Can you, you were going to cycle back to the needs too? To needs. Let's do that. Um, you know, um, Chase was saying just before we started the four pillars that he, he teaches in his program and said he based it on no more Mr. Nice Guy. And man, just all of them sounded good. He talked about needs and said, oh, maybe some someday I'll tell you about, uh, I, I always mix up how I say it. Sometimes I say cooperative reciprocal relationship. Sometimes I say reciprocal cooperative relationship. But I think cooperative reciprocal relationship sounds best. It's got the, the best flow to it. Um, when I talk with nice guys about getting their needs met, um, it, typically they get this deer in the headlight look. Um, nice guys got a big issue around needs. Most of us grew, grew up believing we're bad for having needs. Everybody else's needs are more important than ours. One of our core covert contracts, and we'll, we'll probably need to talk about the three covert contracts of nice guy syndrome sometime while we're yakking here. But one of the covert contracts is if I meet your needs without you having to ask, then you will meet my needs without me having to ask. Mm. But, uh, and as you can just, it doesn't take a rocket science to see that that's not a very good plan for getting your you needs. Scratch back. my back. I'll scratch yours. But I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you that's the plan. You know, yeah. I, I'm just going to try to read your mind, do what I think you want. And then you'll read my mind and do what I think I want. Not a very good plan. It's not very effective. But even the bigger problem is nice guys are actually terrible at, at, at receiving. Again, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel anxious, like we're doing something wrong, that we're going to owe somebody something, that they're going to get mad at us. Um, and I've had to deal with all of those pieces around getting my needs met. And so when I talk with nice guys and say, okay, you need to, you need to make you your number one priority. You need to make filling your bucket the number one priority in your life. Uh, and I remember the first interview I ever did on television was with Bill O'Reilly. I didn't even know who Bill O'Reilly was. This is, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and I, and I brought that up and he just like, you know, took me to task with it. And, and I handled my own, you know, pretty well around the subject so well that Barnes and Noble gave me a book contract <laughs> after that interview. So, 
But, but that is so core. The, my definition of an adult is somebody who takes full responsibility for getting their needs met. Um, this is a, the differentiated, uh, integrated adult. Now, as children, we couldn't. We were dependent on everybody else to figure out what our needs are and meet them. And to me, that's the difference between being a child and an adult. We now take full responsibility for them. Now, the thing is, we can't do that in isolation. We can't do it all by ourselves. We need other resources. You know, I've mentioned a little bit, you know, our tribal days. You know, we, we tend to think that, that we humans relate to it. We've always related to each other in the way we do, always lived in a world that we live in. No. You know, for a million and a half years, we were tribal. We were nomadic. Maybe for about 10,000 years, you know, we've, we've been agrarian and owned stuff and, and it, but so what's wired into us is the tribe met all of our needs. We worked together as a, as a cooperative reciprocal unit for everybody to get their needs met. It meant if you were the hunter, the gatherer, or the person having the baby, or the person keeping the fire burning, everybody worked together. So in order to get our needs met, we have to take responsibility for creating what I call cooperative reciprocal relationships. And what I often tell people, have people do, it's real simple, get a piece of paper out, draw yourself as a stick figure in the middle of that, that piece of paper, and then draw out a bunch of two-ended two arrows going out from you, uh, two tipped arrows, arrow that way, but it's the same arrow comes back to you. And then draw a bunch of little circles at the end of each of these arrows. These are your cooperative reciprocal relationships. These are where you and another person or organization both are getting some need met by having a connection together. Right now, we have a cooperative reciprocal relationship. All of us are getting some need met by being here together in this space and time. If it wasn't meeting some need for everybody here, this would not serve a purpose. At least one of us would say, eh, I'm out of here. It, it's, it doesn't serve me in any way. I'm not getting anything out of it. And as adults, we have to take responsibility for consciously creating these. Now, these can be our friends. Um, they, they can be a life coach. They can be a personal trainer. It can be our dentist. It can be our doctor. It can be our accountant. It can be a lawyer. It can be a church group. It can be a men's group. It can be our partner. But all of these relationships, they have to be reciprocal and cooperative. There has to be a flow where everybody involved is getting something of value out of it. Like with my clients, you know, they pay me money so I can pay my bills and I give them, you know, whatever wisdom or resources I can to help them have a better life. And as long as that's working great, we're all happy and we can consciously decide how long to continue in that relationship. If it were to quit working, we would need to talk about it, either adjust it or say, eh, it's not working. Let's end it. And life, that's how life works. We will have many, many, many cooperative reciprocal relationships in our lifetime. And hopefully these keep evolving. Um, and, and so I reason I have people do this little diagram is to, to sit down and, and put down every reciprocal relationship you can think of, whether that's your mom, your dad, a brother, a sister, you know, this best friend, that best friend, your partner, uh, you know, work relationships, church, your doctor, your lawyer, your dentist, your chiropractor, your massage therapist, your personal trainer, whatever, you know, put out all the ones you can think of and then do a couple of things. One, the first one is to evaluate them. How are they working? A lot of them might be dead wood. 
a lot of them might have worked at some point. A lot of them might have worked when you were a more dysfunctional you or the other people involved were a more dysfunctional you or you were a more fused you like as a child with your parents. And maybe they need to be re, um, renegotiated, reevaluated. You need to have a conversation. You need to rework them. So some of them need some reworking. Some of them need to be chopped off. They, they don't serve anymore. They just they bring nothing to anybody. So let's, 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 you know, just step up and cut them off. So one thing we need to do is keep evaluating the, the, the reciprocal relationships that we have. How are they doing helping us get our needs met? And how are we doing helping them get their needs met? And then the other thing that we need to periodically do is to, to be thinking of what is still lacking or missing from this diagram. What would make my life easier more empowered, um, more pleasurable, more enjoy. What what's missing from there? Sometimes it's adding a professional in there. Okay, I need to get an accountant, or you know, maybe need to change accountants, or um, you know, for me, I needed more guy friends in my life. I, I live in Mexico. You know, I'm 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 married. I got kids. You know, and and I, and I needed guys. So I went out, and a men's group found me. And you know, we've had two workshops. We've been to. We meet every other week online i formed friendships i recognized i was missing some of these things on my diagram of having guys in my life so i consciously went out and did that this is how i get my needs met now in the healthiest relationships the the man and woman or if it's two guys or two women however you know you form relationships hopefully those two people are both have a lot of their own reciprocal cooperative relationships or cooperative reciprocal relationships. Uh, they have a lot of, of their own and each other is just one more cooperative reciprocal relationship where there's that arrow going back and forth. In dysfunctional relationships, what tends to happen is these two people don't have very many of these reciprocal relationships. They get fused with each other and now the attitude is, you know, you're my boyfriend, you belong to me, therefore you should fill in the blank. Or you're my girlfriend, you're my wife, you belong to me, you, therefore you should. And we expect our partners to fill all of these needs and they can't, they just can't. Yeah. And when they don't, then we start getting resentful and pissy. And then because we're not getting our needs met very well, then we usually go underground and go get them met in some secretive hidden way. Or we drink, we do drugs, we look at porn, we flirt, we gamble whatever we do the stuff that doesn't serve as well now so if i can get all adults to to have this model of how to get their needs met and then when they form a relationship it looks like what you were talking about chase and what it looks like with my wife as well she loves serving me i love serving her um but we don't serve in exactly the same ways and that's why i that's stress right. we're, we're a team and, and, you know, I grew up kind of with all kind of the feminist noise out there that, oh, relationships need to be 50-50. And whenever yeah. a woman is saying, you know, no, the relationship needs to be 50-50. Well, there, there's, I found that there's two times that women's math skills go to hell. One is when they're dividing up household chores. The other is when they're getting divorced. 50-50 takes on weird proportions. And so yeah. it's never 50-50. You know, if you use a sports analogy, you, you know, if you have a football team, you, the center and the quarterback don't trade jobs every position. They do what they do best, and they do it together for the good of the team. And, and that's true in business, and it's true in a relationship. 
and, and my wife and I have different gifts and different talents. We can both do a lot of the same things. We can both cook. We can both wash dishes. We can both drive the car. We can both take the car to the mechanic. But there are certain things that I do really well and love doing, and there are certain things she does well and loves doing, and we gift each other in that way. And I, I, we both have these our relationship is that cooperative reciprocal relationship. It's not the, okay, you're my wife, you should do this, or you're my husband, so I expect you to do this. It, those words never get said in our relationship. So there you go. There's my, my little spiel on cooperative reciprocal relationships. Awesome. Do you want to cycle into the covert contracts? I know we touched on at least one of those. What do you think, Chase? Yeah. Covert? Yeah. The joke is, yeah, like I said, the guy that, that read my book originally, <laughs> I called them covered contracts. Um, so luckily, I, I, I have now recorded an audio version of No More Mr. Nice Guy. So if you go on Amazon to buy it, both versions are still available. Make sure you find the one that says written and read by Dr. Robert. Okay, covert contracts. And when I, it was really good for me to go to New York this last November and read the book for the, the audio version because, it, you know, it really got me deep into the book again. It had been a little while since I'd spent a lot of time with it. You know, I spent several years with it while I was writing it. Um, and, and one of the things I realized is I don't spell out covert contracts this clearly. Uh, I finished writing the book about 20 years ago and I've continued to work on me and continue to work with nice guys. So my knowledge and, and my ability to communicate about it has grown. But so th this is not as clearly as I'm going to tell you right now, it is not this clear in the book, um, but it's core because a lot of people tell me that is the main takeaway of no more Mr. Nice Guy is how nice guys use covert contracts to run their life. So here are the three core covert contracts of nice guy syndrome. Number one, if I'm a good guy, then I will be liked and loved. Uh, that's number one. And they're all an if-then proposition. And they're all unconscious, and nobody else knows they exist, by the way. And often the nice guy doesn't know they exist. So for the heterosexual nice guy, if I'm a nice guy, then people will like me and love me, and the women I desire will desire me back. And, and we, if we want, at some point, we can talk about what I call nice guy seduction. Um, so that's covert contract number one. Covert contract number two. Uh, if I meet everybody else's needs without them having to ask, then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. We already kind of dove into that one. <coughs> Excuse me. Covert contract number three. If I do everything right, then I will have a smooth, problem-free life. Now, none of these work for a number of reasons. Number one, going back to the first covert contract, you know, who, who determines if you're a good guy? Are you, are you the scorekeeper? Are you the referee? Are you the one, Hey, I'm a good guy. I do everything right. You know, everybody should like me. Okay. And number two, not everybody's going to like you. You know, they hung Jesus on a cross and I think he was probably a pretty good guy. Um, so not everybody's going to like you. So that covert contract is very flawed. We've already talked about the second one. If, if, if I read your mind and meet your needs, then you'll read mine and meet my needs. Very flawed. Doesn't work. And the third one, that if I do everything right, I'll have a smooth, problem-free life. Number one, again, how do you know if you've done everything right? Chase, you've mentioned kind of, you know, growing up in uh, a religious background. I did too. But, you know, hell, there's disagreement in this world about which, which book's the right one even, which yeah. is the right way to do it. And you can get Christians disagreeing about what the Bible says and Jews disagreeing about what the, 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 um, the, the, the Torah or 
the Talmud. Talmud says, and so you, nobody, what, what's the, what's the rule book that says how to do it right? It doesn't exist. There is no rule book that says how to do it right. And even if you did everything right, this world is not smooth and problem free. This life is chaotic. This life is ever changing. So the three covert contracts, pretty much all they do is keep the nice guy stuck and frustrated and resentful and, and playing a shitload of World of Warcraft and wasting their life. So those are the three, you know, I, I, I love going with the World of Warcraft analogy. I dated a woman for about four years and her 35 to he's, during that time, he was about 35 to 40 old, her brother, um, came home every night from work and probably played about six or eight hours of World of Warcraft and um, hadn't had sex probably in 15 or 20 years. Um, so that, that's why I, 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 World of Warcraft is my go-to, uh, you know. But anyway, so those covert contracts, are, are, they're, they're, they're an unconscious roadmap that the nice guy believes should work 100% of the time. And unfortunately, they never work. And in typical nice guy fashion, when it isn't working, we just double down on the same strategy and just try harder and um, get more frustrated and more resentful. So what what about when when that one of the contracts that's that happens uh, naturally? Like I I feel like the more I meet my girlfriend's needs or support her, the more she reciprocates. But I but I don't do it with an expectation there. So mm -hmm. is there a natural process where that does happen? And if you take away the expectation and then sort of the need for it, that it that it works? Yeah, it it does and. I think I think this is dependent on two things. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Two things. One is a little bit of luck, and two, good communication. Yeah. And the little bit of luck, I think, is when we're talking about an intimate relationship. Let's say we're a man and a woman, or two men or two women, whatever, happen to bump into each other, and the, and they both, you know, are, are pretty good at, at just being who they are. Being who they are seems to bless their partner. You know, how they like to give seems to be well received by their partner. And um, I, I've really come to the conclusion after many, many years of both being married and being a marriage therapist that I, I think the luckiest people on this planet, I put my wife and I in this category, are when two people get together who speak the same love language. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, my my wife and I are are almost identical in our love language. We both yeah. like to be appreciated. We both like touch. Um, we, we both like physical affection. We both like words of affection. Um, it, it's kind of like we're mirrors of each other, and 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 this is a for us a really good thing, because. I've seen so many couples where they don't have the same love language yeah. for, for one being appreciated is their love language for another doing things for somebody or gifts, is their love yeah, language yeah. or giving gifts or, and, and, they, and we all have a, our own love language w without being aware of it. And I've asked so many men um, if they know what their wife's, their girlfriend or wife's love language is. And often I just get a blank stare like, huh? You mean she's not just like me? She, you know, she she is, doesn't feel loved from exactly the same things that make me feel loved, and and no. So I think there's some luck there that if you get two people, or at least two people that are conscious enough to figure out their partner's love language, and it's easy for them to give in that way, even if it doesn't come 100% just kind of naturally, to to 
consciously be able to do that. But if both people, if that's just kind of their natural inclination to love in that way, um, you know, my wife and I are like a couple bonobos. We're always touching and loving and kissing on each other. And, you know, the kids are always making noises at us. And then they often come and touch and kiss and hug on us as well. So it's, it's just, it, it seems to be the love language we've got. It's not my mother's, for example. My mother is not physically affectionate. Uh, she will not give me a hug um, on her own. Every time I hug her, she hugs back. She will not say I love you unless I say it first. Mm-hmm. Her, her way of showing love is by doing things for mm-hmm. people. And when people do things for her, she feels loved. So, okay, I've learned that about my mother. So I know how, how to make her feel loved by, by what I can do for her. Um, so th- that's the first piece is if you're lucky enough that you got two people that like giving. And, and, and like sh- expressing their love. And, and there's that nice reciprocal flow to it. And the second would involve some degree of communication uh, where we're not having to guess what, what our other partner wants. And so we can actually be clear, you know, I feel loved when you do this, or, um, you know, it hurts me when you do this. There's or, even tests these days. You guys can go online and do a test together. It's like 50 questions and it'll kind of give you a little. Well, we did, we did it. I mean, he's hitting it right in the head because yeah. we did it and we're, our love languages match almost perfectly. Like it the really two is, of you. Yeah. Not me. No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> we should do ours. I, I, noticed, I noticed that about <laughs> you. I, from this little picture I can see of you guys, so, I can tell that. You just had a lot of love flowing between. Oh yeah, I, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> so come on, so, throw Brody in there while you're at it. <laughs> bro jobs so, you know, all over the place. And, and like I said, my wife and I really do joke about you know we, we, we have a daily contest to see who can out love each other, and um, and it's just by doing all those little things that that we each know the other person uh, just thrives on, and. Um, and it's not hard. It's not work. It's fun. And yeah, as you said, if there's no attachment to an outcome, if there's no agenda, if this just this freely offered flow, um, it, it, it does. It's like a teeter-totter. It just kind of keeps going up and up. I know it's not a perfect example because teeter-totters don't keep going up and up. But, you know, one goes up and then the other goes up. And just imagine that the base keeps rising as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Less than perfect example or metaphor. But yeah, it's it. You just want to keep giving the other person more love because of how loved you feel by them. Yeah. yeah. Bingo, bango. So I wanted to, uh, do you have another follow-up? No, 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 that's it. I wanted, one thing I wanted to touch on, um, I was wondering, because the book I read, actually, the book I read right before I read yours was uh, Jordan Peterson's, which was kind of... Um, not the same line, but definitely was a very good precursor to your book because that kind of yeah. I, I I don't talk about lobsters in my books. So yeah, that's that's one way. <laughs> yeah, that's right, and I think that other one's more. Uh, like I say, it's a good precursor. It's more of uh, of uh, I don't know for beginners. Yeah, for beginners in a lot of ways. I was wondering if you had an opinion on uh, Peterson and some of the flack he's been taking, and and uh, just if you've read the book and what you think of it. I am smiling, I, and I'm not sure why this is, and this probably isn't the last time uh, this is going to happen. I've probably been asked at least five times in the last month or two uh, what my thoughts are on Jordan Peterson. Um, and, and I have to say, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I've read a few articles about him. I do have the book. I have started his book uh, as one of those ones I kind of started and uh, then got distracted by some other books. The last half um, is better. Okay, I'll keep reading then. Um, and a few of the articles I've read, and, and because I've, 
been the focus of some articles in the past, not a lot, where where the journalist had a bent and and kind of a, how they wanted to portray me, which I didn't understand why. Um, and I, I've read a few that I think kind of done that to him as well. Um, I think he, best I can tell is that he kind of violated maybe one of the biggest sacred cows in Western culture, which is uh, organized uh, feminism. And he's kind of taken it yeah. on. And, and I think he, he, he's pissed off uh, a group of people who don't like being disagreed with or challenged on their perceptions. Now, it also sounds like he's got some ideas that on the surface sound a little out there. Um, but I probably do as well. So I, I think I'm going to have to finish reading his book and kind of dive in a little more into some of the YouTube videos that people keep telling me I need to watch and, and get my own feel because, um, and, 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 the, and the closest connection, I, I guess I have two degrees or maybe one degree of separation from Jordan, is that in an article about him, I, I, I get those little Google messages. If, if my name or no more Mr. Nice Guy shows up anywhere in the news, I get a Google alert for that. And I got one, and it was an article um, in, in a fairly, fairly mainstream, well-known, uh, I think it was Huffington Press even, if I remember right, about him, where they quote me. Um, and they, the quote they have of me, they actually took from an interview I did with The Guardian, and they just took it and, and quoted me like, you know, they did actually interviewed me for the, this story. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't have any real issue with how they quoted me other than they, they plugged it into their own context and made like there was a connection between Jordan and I when there's absolutely none. And so... Um, that's about the closest connection I've got to him. So since I keep being asked about him, I, I, I need to go dig in a little bit more. So tell me why you guys asked, um, you know, what my thoughts are about Jordan. You want to go first, Chase? Uh, sure. And uh, this is a little bit controversial because uh, on my own YouTube channel, I've actually offered some criticisms of uh, Jordan Peterson with which my audience, some of them did not uh, – Oh, so you're not allowed well. to criticize Jordan now? Just yeah, like Jordan yeah. I, I, Jordan himself has become the sacred cow after criticizing the uh, sacred cow, apparently. And it's I've actually offered of some. Uh, yeah, I've actually offered some criticisms as a result. Although I do agree with what he's trying to do with the men's movement and his approach uh, to uh, how he's doing. Um, I, I call I call his book Twelve Rules for Life the the gateway drug into uh, the men's movement basically and going into that direction. Is it something that I would have a, a use as a foundation for a complete philosophy? Not necessarily. I, I'd rather I'd rather use uh, uh, Robert's book for that purpose because it has it really exposes that phenomenon that is really uh, getting that undermining the the mature masculine in first world culture and actually technically the world as we know it. Uh, funny, funnily enough, as a sidebar to that, I have a few uh, uh, Asian uh, viewers actually who have made comments about how after I recommended uh, Robert's book uh, to them that they're seeing their lives change. And so it's not just in first world society. It's not just in Western society that this is a problem, right? Oh, by, by the it's, way, I, I get lots of email from guys in India and Pakistan, you know, where, yeah, at least where, where, where English is spoken, um, especially in really, really fused cultures where, where the boys are raised to be exactly how their families want them to be. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And it's funny. I actually had a a Russian woman recently uh, email me and said, "Why do I need to re- read this? This is already normal here." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just interesting how how culture changes it." Um, but but back to Jordan Peterson. Uh, yes, uh, my position on him is that his book is definitely a great uh, thing to start with and uh, something I'd recommend. Uh, to uh, people that I do coach, because I recommend uh, Robert's book. I also recommend David Data's book, uh, The Way of the Superior Man. And I also recommend 12 Rules for Life. Uh, and I'm starting to read now, uh, as per uh, someone who's recommended it to me, The Boy Crisis. And I think I might add The Boy Crisis to those four books uh, as the Who, initial books. Who's that written by? I, I don't remember. Let me check on my list here. It is... Going back to my chat logs here, seems to be written by. I got the right one. Oh yeah, uh, Warren Farrell. Yeah, Warren I, Farrell. Yeah, I know. I know Warren Farrell. I gotta get that one now too. Nice. Always more books. Speaking of books, what books? Yeah. Uh, actually, before we, I wanted to touch on uh, through with a, a lot of the the online literature porn keeps coming up um kind of there's this there's, there's sort of unseen, yeah yeah and it seems to be <laughs> this sort of unseen epidemic can you kind of touch on um like even to the point where when you look into marriage counseling and stuff these days or regular counseling even for yourself that question seems to be on the top of their list are you watching porn and how much are you watching so I was wondering. It's, it's, it's a good question to ask for going into marriage counseling. So did we finish up on Jordan, Jordan Peterson? Yeah, um, I think so. That's I don't know. I don't know if we need to go deeper. No, that's good. The funny thing is, you mentioned books, like another book to add to your list. Uh, I'll say this and I'll answer your question. When when my agent and I were shopping, no more Mister Nice Guy, twenty plus years ago, um, a, a lot of big publishing companies, the editors that read it, liked it, and th- many talked to me personally. Said, "I like your book; it's well written. Think it's a valuable book." But our marketing department says men will not buy a self help book, ah. and I'm thinking, I, I don't know if that was just their heads up their asses at that time because yeah. they didn't they didn't publish any for men. But every guy I know, they just like you know. Maybe Amazon has made this possible. You know, every time you hear about a book, you just go on Amazon and order it. I, I know guys that don't quit buying self-help books. So, um, yeah, that, that that's just when you yeah, said I'm that. You know, one of them. <laughs> I think before you get into the I'm next question, I think the, the main reason I brought up the Peterson thing is because I feel like with the Rogan exposure and, and that debate he had on that, that British channel with uh, Kathy, whatever her name is, um, he's kind of created this giant wave with his book now, which is, I think, the last time I looked, I'm pretty sure he's now the greatest selling author in Canadian history. Um, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. He, it, it, like I said, even the fact that probably, like I said, this is the fifth time I've been asked about him in a month and a half, just either in casual conversation or interviews. Yeah, he, he is a big deal right now. So yeah, and I, I kind of get- foresee people finishing his book and kind of going through some of his stuff and then kind of looking around and being Good. like, you know, what's next? And there's not a lot, because that, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, there's not a whole st- lot of stuff out there for men specifically, other than, well, I mean, it's, I've it's found growing. two or three. 
It's, it's, it is growing, but yeah, th- th- there's, there's a fair amount out there. I mean, Mark Manson's real popular right now. Um, his book, the, you know, the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah, was, yeah. was number one on, on self-help books till Brene Brown's newest book knocked it off about six months ago. Um, Mark mentions my book and his first book. And so he's, he's probably sold me a lot of books just through that connection. Um, his chapter so- on responsibility was super powerful. Yeah, and, and I like his stuff. Uh, the, the thing is, when, when I read Mark, I like it. He and I've talked some. I always feel like I, you know, I've been being hit by a big stick upside the head the whole time I'm reading the book. You know, it's kind of like, you know, okay, here's that big stick, big stick. Okay, I don't need the big stick the whole time. I got it the first time. Um, but but I, I love his stuff. And so men really, you know, all the time people ask me if I know Mark Manson, Jordan Peterson. So that's the stuff that guys are reading out there. Um, and more, I, I know more and more guys, men who are writing books, like I said, John Wineland, the coach I work with, who's a, a devotee of David Data's uh, working on one of masculine leadership. Um, another, um, uh, what's his name up in Vancouver, BC, another fellow Canadian. Uh, he brought me up to do a workshop last fall. Oh, I'll think of his name, but he's working on a book on masculine leadership. So there's just a lot more out there. So I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I I hope maybe my book in some way kind of opened the floodgates that, that, you know, it made it okay to publish books. And especially now that you can self-publish that because guys, I I was going to say guys like to read, which is kind of a little bit of a misstatement. A lot of times guys like to listen. Uh, a, a lot of guys don't read very well, so they, they at least listen to books. So they, they like to consume books. Um, so, all right, porn. Shall we segue to porn? Yeah, yeah. Well, before we jump into that, have you considered doing an updated version of Nice Guy? Um, my publisher asked me that about a year ago. And um, I said, no, I'd rather just write some more books that continue on. So we actually just tweaked uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy a little bit, kind of create, you know, fix some some errors in it. With, even after all the all the people that had read it and edited it, it still had about 60 errors in it that, that we corrected. So, and I, and I wrote a preface to it um, that kind of talked about where my life has been and what I've learned over the last 15 years. Um, but I, I really didn't want to, to revise it, but um, my, my life I almost died about six months ago. Um, I, I didn't know it for a long time, but I, I had a tumor in my small intestine that was killing me. It was choking off. Uh, I, I couldn't eat and couldn't shit and nobody could find it. Nobody knew it was wrong. I'd lost 30 pounds. And finally a doctor here in Mexico ran the right test, found it. And so I had surgery back in January. So you, you wake up from almost dying and you go, all right, I gotta get on with my life. And so my, my goal right now is to write 10 books in 10 years. Wow. And, um, and uh, I'll do it. Uh, I already know what I want to write. And 10 years from now, the list will probably still have 10, 10 subjects lo- more that I don't even know about yet on it. So, uh, so I, I want to just keep writing. I, I don't feel like I re- really need to rewrite No More Mr. Nice Guy, but I'll keep writing books that both support it and some go in a little bit different directions as well. So um, that, that's, that's what I'm about. That's what I get up and do every day is I write. Perfect. Awesome. That's pouring it out. All that. All right. It's, it's on the way. Uh, porn. Um, yeah, I think I've, I, I don't know the exact figure, but I've heard something like 60 to 70% of the bandwidth on the internet is driven by porn. Um, social media might be competing with that as well, but, um, I, I think it's huge. Uh, my personal opinion, I don't have a moralistic opinion about it, but I think in general it's bad for men. Um, number one, it's a fucking waste of time. 
Um, number two, it, it, it can be very addictive. Uh, it, it, it feeds off of our, our just our most basic core drive, and that is sex and sexual variety. Um, it tends to disconnect us from real people. I tell guys it's called a sex drive because it's meant to drive you to pussy, not to your hand or your computer screen. And a lot of single guys that are, that are hooked on porn, um, it, it takes away the drive to actually go deal with the bullshit you got to deal with to actually meet women and get to know them and get into relationship with them and get naked. I mean, it takes some work. It's part of that masculine initiation. Porn, just, you don't have to do it. And then every single guy that's looking at porn, every, every man who's not in relationship thinks, well, once I get into relationship, then I'll quit looking at porn because I won't need it. I'll have a real live woman. They, don't, they never quit. Um, and so, yes, I've dealt with a, a lot of uh, married guys, guys in a relationship that, you know, every time their wife catches them or finds it, they have the shame attack. They, you know, I promise I'll never look at it again. They throw out all their stash. They, you know, erase everything, blah, blah, blah. And uh, like they say, with most addictions, it's not a quitting problem. It's a starting problem. You know, everybody's quit porn many times. But you start looking at it again. You're bored. You're anxious. You're lonely. And it's so fucking available. Um, it, it, it rewires our sexuality. It addicts us to fetishes to where we only get turned on looking or thinking about this one thing. And we can't get turned on by a real person having real sex. You know, we got to think about the porn we looked at in order to get aroused with a real woman. That's fucked up. There's something really wrong with that picture. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is probably one of the, one of the core things that afflicts men. Uh, and keeps us stuck and keeps us from really growing into full, full masculine adulthood is, is a dependency around porn. Um, it, you know, it just keeps us addicted to the female form and, you know, it just gives it all kinds of power that, you know, we already give women enough power as it is without just daily addicting ourselves to their body parts. So, that's my thoughts about porn. Now, um, the, the quitting it, if you've been doing it, the best way I know is just bring it out in the open. Go, go work with a therapist, a coach, go to a 12-step group, and just bring it out in the open. What, what I would do with clients when I, when I had my private practice, if they brought up porn issues, we'd sit down at my computer, and I'd say, all right, you sit in the captain's chair, log on, show me what you look at. And we just talk about it like we're talking about cars or sports or whatever. All right. What do you like about this? Where would you go next? What turns you on about that? Why wouldn't you look at that? What, what about this? And we would just talk about it. And there's something about just bringing it all out in the open. I think most porn addiction is really a shame addiction. It's like I've got this hidden little secret tree for it where I can go look at daddy's magazines that I found. And it's kind of like I've got my own little world that nothing can intrude on. And kind of like when you, once you bring it out in the open. Porn is actually pretty boring. Um, I, I've, I've had groups of men sit around looking at porn and, and the men <laughs> the, uh, waving at my wife looking through the glass doors of my office. I think she's probably getting hungry. Um, she'll probably bring me food anytime. Now. <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me, I promise you, but she would knock first. Um, you know, I was talking about porn and I looked at my wife and I got completely distracted. Um, so what was, I, what was the last thing I said about porn? Uh, that, that it's boring oh, actually. Oh, so yeah looking at it in a group if you get a group of guys together you know like you know a men's group 
And, you know, one guy talked about porn and, and we'll all stand around when one guy looks at porn within about four or five minutes, everybody's shuffling their feet, they're bored, they're cracking dumb jokes. It Porn just gets boring when you just bring it out into a con the conscious light. It's only when it's hidden and secretive and I'm up to something, I'm getting away with something, I'm a bad boy, uh, you know, nobody can intrude on me. That's I think that's most of, of the appeal of it, believe it or not, which tells me that maybe we guys need to go get a life, you know, need to go get something that fulfills us and feels like our own and not have to <coughs> go, go sneak away into our little emotional tree fort and sneak a peek at, at boobies and pussy. So it's growing up. <coughs> Excuse me. What about, um, I guess before we start running out of time, it is getting close to dinner time. Um, what, uh, I guess, what's the first step or what's the easiest thing to sort of start yourself in the right direction if you're a listener and you're thinking, holy fuck, I might be a nice guy. Holy fuck, I might be a nice guy. Most nice guys wouldn't say holy fuck. They'd say, gosh oh, darn, oh, I'm a geez. nice guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I learned to swear as part of my nice guy recovery. Um, yeah, I, it's true because actually today, if you go on my Instagram profile, I actually used superlatives for the first time in my Instagram. And I was, I actually was remember driving today at work and I'm like, oh gosh, is my parents going to see it? And I have to deal with my, a phone call from my mother. And then I thought to myself, that's dumb. Why do I even care? <laughs> You know? I, I, I hear you. And, and by the way, women taught me to swear. It's kind of like, you know, some women I've known in my life were just, they use the fuck word really elegantly. So uh, they talk it's very me. wholesome, very wholesome. Okay. And versatile uh, and versatile. Yeah. The whole George Carlin thing. So uh, where do you start? Uh, I always tell guys, don't do this alone. You did not become a nice guy. You did not develop this paradigm, this roadmap in social isolation. Odds are you developed it very early in your family, perhaps with the influence of, of religion, Culture, which in most areas is highly influenced by religion, um, school systems, trying to, to get women to pay attention to you as a teenager. We did not develop these nice guy patterns in isolation and, and just use like, you know, I think it was Einstein said using the same, the, the, the same problem solving tools that created the problem is not going to solve the problem. So using the same tools you got in your toolbox that got you where you are is not going to move you through it. So go, go, go get help with this. And I don't, I don't even mean so much, go get help, but don't do it alone. Nice guys want to do everything alone. I can figure it out myself. I can mainly because we got this whole shame thing and we're afraid of being too visible or too seen. So I, I started in a 12 step group. I actually went to a 12 step group for sexual addiction and found out quickly. I wasn't a sex addict. I wasn't having enough sex to be a sex addict, but I, but I did find a safe place to just start opening up and telling everything about me that I had some shame about, or I kept hidden or secretive. Then I started going to some therapy with individual therapists. Then I joined a men's group and, and I continue to do this work today of, of, of not going it alone. Every time I kind of like most nice guys kind of retreat back into just hunkering down and doing it on my own stuff just starts building up and it, it starts kind of going South on me. And I go, Oh, that's right. Doing this alone is not a good idea. So, as I said, when I started my own nice guy recovery, um, the internet existed. I'm showing my age, but it wasn't, you know, 
I don't know if I had a computer yet or, you know, a dial-up connection at the time. Um, but nowadays, you know, you can find so many resources. You know, there, there's, you know, a thousand guys like Chase out there that, you know, men coaching up other men because of the coaching that they've gotten. There's all kinds of programs out there. There's so many books out there, uh, but don't just read a bunch of books. Go connect with other men. Um, go to Chase's website, go to my website, drglover.com. I've got certified coaches and therapists, but just, just Google, you know, men's work, Google, just, just get creative. Um, and you know, if you've got an addiction, there's 12 step programs. If you want initiation, go, go do a, a, a mankind project, a, one of their weekends, they have follow-up groups. Um, so yeah, that's my number one advice. Don't try to do it alone. Awesome. Do you have a, do you have anything you want to finish up with Chase? Uh, basically I would say, um, what my, my last, my last final question would be, cause I have a son, he's, he's has, uh, he's having surgery on Monday actually, but, uh, his birthday's coming up. He's going to be turning seven. Uh, what can I do as a father or what can other fathers do to try to make sure, especially, uh, in, relationships where they're actually near their children regularly, but also mm -hmm. in situations where they're not near their tr children regularly, what can fathers do to impart upon their sons to make sure that they don't develop nice guy syndrome, or at least give them the techniques to be able to stave it off essentially yeah. in their lives? Yeah. I, I was asked the same question in an interview I did yesterday. It's a good question. Um, best advice I can give, um, I, 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 my son is, will be 33 this week. Uh, I think Sunday or Monday. Um, and he's got an 11 year old daughter and he's like the best dad. He's, he's, the, he's the custodial parent of his 11 year old daughter. He's the best parent I've ever seen. I think, I think maybe most of his parenting approach is doing the opposite of what I did with him. And it, he turned out to be an amazing dad. Um, but my best advice for, for dads, I heard something a long time ago that said, best gift you can give your children is to love their mother. Now, in this case, you know, I think you're not with the mother of your son. No. Um, and so that's not an option. But if he can see you treating his mother with respect, if he can see you know, how you treat the woman that you're with, that's really powerful that to see you being the kind of man that you talk about being, and, and I get a sense that you live. Just him seeing how you penetrate women with, with love and respect and how you penetrate the world with love and respect is powerful. So the, the model that you set um, and, and the fact, for example, um, my second wife, I raised two stepkids, a stepson and stepdaughter. My stepson and son were about six months apart. So they're really close and I was very involved in their lives. And I can remember one time when my son was about, stepson was about 15 and his mother was going off on me about something. I, I, that's who I was married to when I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy. And, and I remember my son at about 15, my stepson said, Pops, are you going to let her talk to you like that? And I'm thinking... This kid wants me to stand up, set a boundary, be strong with his mother so, so that he can, you know, feel safe and, and know what that looks like. And so, yeah, they, they need to see how we interact with women in the world. Now, the other piece I would say is um, 
hopefully you're out there spending time with men. I'm talking to men in general, listen to this, that you've got your own connection with men. You're out there doing guy things with guys and invite your son to come do that. It's, it's kind of what, what sons used to get from their dads. They went out and worked in the field, worked on the farm with dad, with, with grandpa, with uncles, with cousins. Um, so both involve him in the things you do that you love to do your passions, bring him along and especially bring him along to hang out at times, not all the time, but at times when you're hanging out with your guy friends, let him see what it's like to be a part of a band of men. So for example, if you go to a baseball game with two or three of your buddies, bring your seven year old son along and let him see what it's like when guys hang out, tell the same dumb joke over and over again, give each other shit, be playful, love on each other. Let him see what that looks like. And, and get him kind of in that mode. This is what men do. They go spend time with men. They have a good time. They love on each other. They, they support each other. They tease each other. They give each other shit. They hold each other accountable. I think that those are the best gifts you can give your kid. All right. Fair enough. That's a very good point. And I'm glad you answered the question so that uh, the viewers uh, can gain that insight uh, it's one of the main questions that i received mostly from my audience uh, specifically the fathers mm -hmm. although i haven't lectured much yet on parenting uh, with my community because i started it in march and still ramping up basically mm -hmm. but uh it, it is it is a very common question so yeah and i think you definitely presented the answers succinctly so i i do appreciate um the model in which you put forth and yeah i think i think i will be taking my son to a baseball game he's actually coming to visit me by himself this weekend uh, mm -hmm. so we're going to be doing things just him and i so it'll be great good and find out uh, one of the things i say to dads is is learn learn his language oftentimes a son has to learn dad's language if dad's language is working on cars or this or that if the son doesn't if that doesn't fit for him often there's no connection so learn his language you know if, if he's into certain things like my stepson just turned 13 last week and he'll ask me about do i know certain music groups and they're of course all latin mexican or spanish music groups and oftentimes i'll say no show me a video because, you know, he's, you know, he knows I like music. We listen to music all the time, all the way from classic rock and roll to, to Mexican banda music to, you know, I, I, I get, I get the jazz standards going as well. And, and so that's one thing when he, when he says, do you know this group? I'll say, no, show me one of their videos. So find out what he's into, what, what, what his language is. All right. Hmm. Will do. Thank you. Uh, before we wrap up, I'd bounce back to books one more time. I've been just floating this one past the last couple guests. I guess I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I'd like to know maybe what you're reading now and what the what uh, the book you feel everyone should read is. All right, I, I, I got my Kindle sitting right here, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you which books are at the top of it. Um, you know, we've mentioned Way of the Superior Man by David Data several times. Uh, highly recommend that. Um, both of Mark Manson's book, his models books about dating, uh, are good books. Uh, okay. Here's, here's what I'm reading right now. And some of them I've, I've read more than once. I, I read a daily meditation book for men in recovery called touchstones. Um, um, and it's just one of those daily med. It's really good. I really recommend it. I read some, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh every day. Uh, he's a, a Buddhist monk. Uh, I'm actually reading another book by a Buddhist monk called Women, Sex, and Monday, Money. Um, and I always struggle pronouncing his name, but it's, it's 
Trungpa, Chungyet Trungpa. So some reason my Kindle is running real slow right now. Okay. Other recent books. Um, I'm also reading, uh, I, I dove into Rollo Tomasi's Rational Mail. I've had people talking about it for years. I thought I'm speaking at a conference that he's at in October. So I figured I, I better, uh, I've read a few of his blogs. So I'm actually reading the book. I'm reading some essays by E.B. White. I, you know, I got to get some just easy, you know, reading in there. E.B. White wrote Charlotte's Web. He wrote uh, The Elements of Style by Shrunken White. So he's been dead for several years, but great writer. Uh, I'm about to finish up Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. Uh, I'd recommend that. Um, one of my favorite books uh, I've read a couple times, Wisdom of No Escape uh, by Pima Chodron. Um, she's also a Buddhist teacher. Um, other books I've been reading lately... Oh, another one that I recommend a lot is um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's not The Art of War, but The War of Art. Really great for anybody uh, that, that's stuck uh, anywhere in life in, in your creative uh, uh, self. Um, anything by Brene Brown is good. Um, I just, just finished for, Rising Strong like two days ago. There you go. One of my favorite fiction writers, I guess two of my uh, favorite fiction writers relating to men, uh, one would be Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, just came across a book I downloaded of his recently, I haven't read yet. He wrote Fight Club and um, Choke, and uh, he really writes men's issues really well. Um, and then the other, I won't be able to think of his name, but he wrote um, Into the Wild that was made into the movie. Um, and it, um, he wrote a book about climbing uh, Mount Everest, uh, really writes a lot about, he's written about Mormonism as well. So I wish uh, I could think of his name, not coming right to mind. But Into the Wild, you know, really good movie um, and, and a really good book. Highly recommend it. Cool. So there's a whole, whole range of stuff. Well, yeah. what are you guys reading right now? Give me some, give me some suggestions. Right now I'm reading... Uh, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Dale Carnegie. There you yeah. go. How to be I, a nice guy. <laughs> I started on some Carnegie stuff and it just seems it's been really resonating with me. So I'm sort of going down a little Carnegie rabbit hole. Yeah. Somebody showed me the other day. They said they got a new business card printed up. It said, you're the fucking man. And that's just what it says on the business card. It said, yeah, I think that's the same business card Dale Carnegie used. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. So I have that. And I just finished, like I said, I just finished Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Right. And I saved my reading pretty much for the guests that we're having on. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm pretty but much. But you didn't read with... No More Mr. Nice Well, because you got it covered. You guys got <laughs> yeah, it covered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so what it. else have you read but, recently? What, what other books by your guests have you read? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Uh, hey, you guys put me on the spot. Don't <laughs> worry. My, my turn's right after yours, Graham. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did do is I just uh, added to my card on my audible.com, uh, narrated by Dr. Robert Glover, uh, by Dr. Robert Glover. So your your book is on uh, audible.com as well. So I just added that to my card. 
boom, I can, I can, I can afford to take my family out to eat dinner tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. If, so we got that cooperative reciprocal relationship. Yeah. You, know, I, you yeah, bought well, my book, you grow. I can go eat dinner now. Here's one. Actually, here's one for you. The Power of Eight by Lynn McTaggart. That was one of my later ones, and I was reading the Master Key System by Charles Harnell, I believe. And then there was an old, like early 1900s Law of Attraction type book by uh, Florence Scoville, I think her name was, called The Game of Life. So there's a there's a few interesting ones. Okay. And those are so, usually on Audible. Like, I don't have much time to read, so it's usually listening to these audio On Audible, books. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chase, right. what, what are you, some of your favorites? My, my Well, uh, right now, uh, I just finished uh, The Warrior Within by John Little, which is uh, an analysis deep dive into Bruce Lee's uh, personal philosophy. Okay. Uh, and Brandon Lee's as well. It was very good, and I highly recommend it. Finish that today. Uh, I just, I'm rereading Understand Yourself and Others by Dr. Linda Behrens, uh, which is her book on the temperaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about to start tomorrow, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Oh, nice. And uh, The Boy Crisis, which we also talked about. After that in my queue is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> and, I read that uh, years ago. And a little bit of uh, Alan Watts. I just added the Mark Manson book to uh, my queue as well. Okay. Uh and actually, Alan Watts, I've recently put some of his stuff in too. I mean, I'm how I'm thinking, how did he stay off the radar of my awareness? I mean, the guy's fucking brilliant. Absolutely, and, and I recommend you watch you read the Warrior Within by John Little because Bruce Lee and Alan Watts really coincide, and to really understand a more um, I, w- I don't want to say modern, but like actually like today uh, interpretation of uh, Alan Watts. I recommend going in the Bruce Lee direction with John Little's book. Uh, okay, it's fantastic. Cool. I'm going to download that as soon as we're done. See, we men like to read books. That's right. Yeah. Or at least listen to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least listen to them. You got to squeeze some audio books in between your podcasts. Well, yeah, I, this is how I do it, and this is very important for like the viewers on uh, Gramerica or even in my community. People ask me all the time, how are you able to read so many books? And it's like, well, every time I'm taking a shit, I'm reading a book, mm-hmm. or every time I'm on a commute or I am driving or writing, because I do a lot of driving for my day job, for example, because I'm an engineer – I'm constantly listening to audiobooks all the time. Yeah. So if you have a commute or if you're riding around the car by yourself, not without another human being, you definitely should be on your iPhone listening to an audiobook of some kind yeah. and definitely put books next to your toilet. I have consumed many books off of the toilet. Uh, I think I've done probably maybe 11 different books in the last year alone just from toilet reading. I saw a lot of shits, man. <laughs> yeah, so you got to change up your diet. Hey, hey, I want to throw one other book out there that, that just dawned on me because I was listening to it as an audio book as well. Um, Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. Um, she's f- fucking brilliant. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading her. Like, you know, there's a few people out there. I read them. I go, man, I wish I'd written that book. And, and this is one of them. So Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. Are we in captivity? Yes, I it applies to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're going to go that far. We're domesticated. Her basic, her basic premise is that how we typically define intimacy and in relationship actually kills sexual passion. Because intimacy makes the relationship really safe and knowable 
and and she says that actually works against sexual passion absence absence makes the heart grow fonder and that's actually kind of coincides with christopher ryan's uh philosophy sex when he wrote dawn, sex yeah. at dawn yeah which i also yeah. recommend people I, I recommend sex at dawn as well perfect and of course we should mention you've got the whole online community that's drglover.com yeah, just drglover.com. Or if they just want to Google Robert Glover, if they Google no more Mr. Nice Guy, I come up at the top of both pages. So I'm easy to find. I've got you know online university with a few self-help courses, got a, a ton of podcasts on a lot of different subjects, a bunch about dating. So uh, yeah, people can just go poke around. Right on. Perfect. Well, big thanks for coming on, uh, Robert. Chase, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, I'll probably track you down again in another month or two when we ramp up our other show and see if I can con you into coming on that as well. So hopefully we didn't offend you too bad over here today. <laughs> I, I, I can't speak for Chase, but I've had a good time. This is likewise. Uh, is is you know I, I like to talk. I like to share this stuff, and it seems like we got a lot, a lot of alignment of ideas. So that that yeah. was fun. Yeah, right on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Right on, guys. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, and 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 come back anytime. Thank you for the invitation. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good night. Okay. Later. And that was our chat with, uh, of course, friend of the show, Chase Joseph, and uh, Dr. Robert Glover. What'd you think, buddy? That was good. That was, that was awesome, good actually. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah that was I, I was surprised was a... at how much the the superior man came up because that really that book really affected me. So there was a couple people in the chats that said they figured it was the best one ever. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, no, that was I'm good. telling you the climate's right. Yeah. Bingo, bango. So uh, huge thanks to uh, well, Robert Glover. But we should talk about Robert a little bit because he was an amazing guest. Like for his uh, awareness and listening and attentiveness and how much he remembered of what, you know, Chase would say or we would say. Like you could really tell he was very present with our current conversation. It wasn't just about a shtick. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Like I say, his book's one of the uh, probably the most probably the most influential book in my life to date. That's a good couple of weeks. Here. I was looking on Audible. As we start circling three hundred, we got a couple. I was of, looking on Audible, forty five hundred uh, reviews for almost five star. His book. Which one? No more, Mister Nice. Guy. Oh, is it? Yeah, not his new one that he narrated, but the old one, obviously that has been around for a few years. Nice. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, big thanks to Chase for coming on the show and bringing uh, his community along. Hopefully you guys stick around. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you'll like it in Grand America. We have these long chats, no commercials. Of course, there's only one way. Well, actually, there's a a few ways. If it wasn't for a few people that do choose to support us, uh, the show wouldn't be here anymore. So check out grandamerica.ca slash support. We've got, uh, you know, we're trying to hit that 1% support mark. We haven't quite got there yet. But if a few of you this week head over to America.ca slash support, we got weekly plans, monthly plans, uh, annual plans, one-time donation plans. We got Patreon plans for as little as a buck a month. You can be helping out the show, make sure it sticks around, and uh, you don't just turn on your podcatcher one day and we're gone. That'd be fucking terrible, wouldn't it? See? You just didn't want to think about that. Now you thought about it. Support the show. Because? Because. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. Do everything in the show notes, too. Because. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I think you have to say a, a reason. No, you don't. He what, said yes, you just no, have to no, say no, because. You have to say reason. Because it'll make it you feel good and you'll live reason. longer. Yeah, that's right. Okay, there we go. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
All right. And thanks to all the live people, people uh, listening live. Absolutely. Uh, that one went well with the video and everything. Hey, yeah, bro, everything bro, went yeah, pretty good. good. It's yeah, almost like we're like starting to good. fucking figure this thing out. Yeah. yeah we'll get there. Right on. And we might be back. Uh, what time do we have the next one lined up for? We, I'm talking to John right now. so uh, Maybe we should do that before the intro. Then. We might do that whenever, yet. Whenever he wants to do it is okay with me. As long as I have a chance to grab a bite quickly. I'm starving. Do you want me to run out for you guys? I can be Mr. Nice Guy and run out for you guys. Sure, Mr. Nice Guy. Are you going to run out? love languages is like gifts and... and uh... <laughs> I don't want my love languages to be gifts. Words of affirmation? Brody, you look good today. <laughs> Could be uh, touch, but I'm not going to try that one out. <laughs> So I don't know. We'll see what happens and like uh, keep an eye out on your alerts, people. All right. What alerts are those? I don't know if they clicked on Do that they, little fucking bell. Oh, so hey, if they subscribe to the YouTube, they get alerts too, I right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, click the bell. Oh, okay. So. We should probably talk about that a little bit more. Ding yeah. dong, hit the bell, right. motherfuckers, and then okay. you get all the videos. Kill it. Kill it, Brody.